Welcome back, everybody. It's CFP Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on Twitter at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by Nicholas Ian Allen, the owner and proprietor of CFP Winning Edge. Follow him on the Twitter at CFP Winning Edge and Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E on the Twitter machine. And, you know, it's bowl season. We're going to get into it. There's a lot of moving pieces uh, in, in terms of coaches and the transfer portal is open. So Nick is hard at work. Uh, figuring out where all these guys are are going. But we do have to open with some sad news. Uh, Mike Leach passed away today, actually, as we're recording this early in the morning. He had been in the hospital for a while and um, uh, unfortunately did not make it. So uh, Nick, you know, Mississippi State head coach, uh, passes away, very influ- influential in this game, a character, you know, wasn't my favorite uh on the field and all that stuff, but I know he was very important to college football and uh, such a character. So uh, your thoughts on, on Mike Leach before we get going here. Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, obviously it's, it's uh, just, you know, heartbreaking uh, for something like this to happen um, to sort of come out of nowhere. I mean, uh, you know, sounded like a, a, I believe if if uh, I understand the reporting was a, a massive heart attack, just not expected, obviously. Um, and it wasn't much, you know, long after 48 hours, maybe. Uh, and he was gone. So very, very sad. Nobody could have seen it coming. Um, but you mentioned how influential he is. And I think that's absolutely, uh, you know, the, the first thing that comes to mind for me. Um, Mike Leach, along with, you know, some of the coaches that he, uh, grew with how mommy, uh, you know, chief among them, um, really helped shape modern football at all levels. I mean, you see things that Mike Leach had a, a big, um, you know, played a big role in developing, uh, you see it at the NFL, level obviously it's spread all across college football and has for you know two decades um at the high school level and and i'm sure you know on down it's it's just something that uh you know on the field just just the way the game is played he certainly had a major impact he had a major impact in uh really putting together a very very impressive coaching tree um I mean, you know, guys like Lincoln Riley, guys like Dave Aranda. I mean, it stretches both sides of the ball. Um, and, and you know, those are just two names off the top of my head. But, I mean, I, as I'm sure everyone has seen over the last uh, 12 hours or so since, since the news was, um, you know, made official by Mississippi State, uh, you see the photos of his – you know, Texas Tech staff where they're the circles of all the coaches who've gone on to become head coaches and even some players. I mean, Cliff Kingsbury, you know, was his yeah. first quarterback at, at Texas Tech. Um, Lincoln Riley was on those teams. Sonny come I mean, it's just uh, just a, a really, really long list of uh, people he impacted along the way, helped, you know, get them into coaching, helped uh, kind of help them you know, find their roots and, and then grow into some of the, you know, best known coaches um, in the game. So uh, obviously there's been a lot of, you know, outpouring of, of support for Leach's family, for uh, Mississippi State. Um, it's a, a very, very sad thing overall. Um, but, you know, as a coach, he was able to impact a lot of people 
on the field, off the field, um, and just sort of unique to to him. Obviously, he had had a, a lot of personality and the interest that he had, and the the way he went about doing things was uh, a true original um, and somebody that you know I've, I've seen it a lot uh, said, and and so I'm certainly not you know the first here uh, to to bring it up, but you know college football is definitely um, going to be a little less interesting day to day, just just without. Mike Leach. So um, he, he certainly, you know, made a major impact, left a legacy, uh, very sad at the age of 61 uh, and very sad. And, and, you know, during a season, um, but for him to go out with a big win uh, over Ole Miss in the Egg Bowl, um, pretty, pretty fitting. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll certainly uh, miss missing him on Saturdays. I think. Xavier, your thoughts on uh, Mike Leach and his passing. Yep. A true one of one. That is the best way I could describe Mike Leach. Uh, from his, you know, marriage advice or lack thereof in some ways, uh, to you know who he was in press conferences. Uh, Mike Leach was just him, Mike Leach. You know, there, there's nobody who you know I think will come close to his personality and the way that he you know faced the game of football. He you know he coached it you know like he was like it was his life. He also was just kind of a very personable human being. You could ask Mike anything. I mean, heck, we've seen, I don't know how many journalists that not only that I grew up watching, but also constituents who have been like, Mike told me this in a sidebar. Mike told me this at a random press conference in like 2015. Mike, there's just so many stories of him being, you know, essentially giving any kind of advice or just talking to whomever. He was never too big for anybody. And this is a guy who, you know, in, in a lot of ways, like Nick said, you know, created a lot of the avenues of modern football, right? And that in itself, it will be one of his lasting memories. Uh, but the person that Mike Leach was, was just, like I said, he, there's nobody that was like Mike Leach. Uh, and I think that growing up, you know, being a student of the game, he was one of those first people that you heard of, like immediately. Right. Yeah. Like, some of his Texas tech teams, you know, the, the first memory that came to mind was, uh, you know, Graham Harrell, Michael Crabtree, and, you know, uh, unfortunately for Scott, them beating Texas. Like that was one of my yeah. first, that was our first native memories as a child. Right. Uh, and just realizing that, you know, some of the those high explosive offenses that changed college football were because of Mike Leach. Um, and just seeing how the game has shifted because of what he's done, uh, even for some of the things that he got crapped on about, right? You know, I still remember we went to Wazoo, and, you know, with my, my grandfather being, you know, an alumni of Washington State, they were like, does he ever run the footballs out here? And I was like, yeah, you know, <laughs> maybe. You know, the pass is the extension of the run in a lot of ways for him, right? So, you know, just, uh, you know, just seeing that and him – See and seeing his offense in so many different variations, you know, he, uh, you know, seeing it in the big 12 in its early forms and, you know, even about Dawson state, you know, in an early, early forms, right. Then going to the Pac-12 of Washington state and coming all the way to the sec, you know, and, and putting it in a place where like, Oh no, that's never going to work in this conference. It worked. Right. I still remember his first game. They beat LSU. They beat the breaks off of LSU and everybody's like, Oh, it works. It works everywhere. And, and I think, for a lot of people, that was kind of like the like step. Like, okay, you know, Mike Leach's offense works no matter where it is, rain, you know, sleet, sunshine, whatever. And so he will always have a lasting memory. Like Nick said, there's so many guys, so many coaches, so many players that have been touched by him throughout his career. Uh, but, you know, I, I think as a person, I saw so many stories and read so many stories today on Twitter, uh, you know, that just, I think, you know, highlighted the kind of person that he was. 
And, you know, that in and itself, I think, is the last thing that a lot of people will be left with. And that'll be what I was left with. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, like you said, I think you said it perfectly when you said one of one. Mike Leach was absolutely a character and uh, he will be remembered for not just, um, you know, being a huge college football character, but uh, the fingerprints he left uh, across the game are uh, going to be far reaching for a very, very long time. So sad loss, you know, um, it wasn't my favorite coach, but I love a villain. Yeah. And, and he, not, he was easy yeah, not perfect. He, sure. He certainly wasn't. Yeah. Um, but uh, just, just sitting down and thinking, you know, and, and Chris B. Brown, who's been one of my favorite football writers for a long time, has done a lot of uh, work on the air raid and, and Leach and um, has written some of the, the you know, more all-encompassing uh, things about him and his offense over the years. And, and, you know, he made the argument, and I think it's probably pretty fair if you think back over the last 40 years and were to, to – um, Think about the most influential coach in like how the game is actually played. Um, X's and O's wise, I mean, offensive line, Leach was an offensive line coach. Um, you can make an argument. He might be the, the you know, most impactful. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, it, it's not a, a, an open and shut in case, obviously, but sure. um, he's in the conversation for sure. I mean, just a, a big, big impact. Have, you, have any of you guys read The Perfect Pass? Uh, not, sort of a, a book on the, uh, how mommy and and that group and leech is is a big part of it um the development of the air raid and and uh talks about you know them starting i believe as iowa wesleyan was was where they started and then uh, xavier you mentioned valdosta state obviously and then uh you know kentucky and um it's it's uh it's a good book i i would suggest if anybody's um maybe a little off the the beaten path uh if if anybody out there is looking for a mike leach related book uh that's that's a, a pretty good one interesting interesting well you know rest in peace uh mike leach and um game is going to be different without him that's for sure um we move on into bowl season we're finally here uh running from the 16th of december to the 9th of january for uh the uh, college football playoff final so lots to talk about here. But before we dive into the games, we're in the middle of coach changing season right now, too. So let's just kind of go over that. I'm going to lay it out, tell you what's going on, then pass it to Nick and Xavier. But uh, the rumors were true. Deion Sanders left Jackson State for Colorado. Uh, coach Prime also brought Kent State head coach uh, Sean Lewis to be his new OC. Also had some comments about baggage and um, making sure everyone has their stuff packed. <clears throat> because he's bringing his uh, his own players in, which was interesting. He's also going to coach Jackson State in their bowl game still, even after talking about the issues that Jackson State has had in terms of potential money things and things going awry, which seems to be the big reason that he left. But lots to unpack with Dion. Um, after Scott Satterfield made his surprising move to Cincinnati, Louisville was able to bring in Jeff Brom uh, home to uh, be their new coach. Uh, Purdue hired uh, Illinois DC Ryan Walters uh, to replace him, the architect of the nation's number one defense. Uh, Jamie Chadwell left Coastal Carolina to become the new head coach at Liberty, uh, and the Chanticleers quickly hired NC State OC Tim Beck to replace 
Chadwell at Coastal Carolina. Former Texas and Houston head coach Tom Herman returned to the sideline after a year as a TV analyst, replacing Willie Taggart at FAU. Barry Odom, the D.C. at Arkansas and former Missouri head coach, has been a candidate for several jobs before officially becoming the new head man at UNLV. Texas State made a splash by hiring uh, G.J. Kenny as its new head coach. Kenny had reportedly had interest from his alma mater in, tu- in Tulsa, uh, among others, and uh, his incarnate team word is still alive in the FCS playoffs. Uh, Kenny's teammate, uh, Kenny's team beat Sacramento State 66-63 to last week, and the Hornets head coach Troy Taylor took the Stanford job the following day, so Stanford gets their replacement for David Shaw. Tulsa landed on uh, Ohio State uh, offensive coordinator Kevin Wilson, the former Indiana head coach, um, who is expected to stay with the Buckeyes through the college football playoff, but he will move on to Tulsa after the season. Longtime Navy head coach Ken, uh, help me out here, Nick. How do I say his last name? I always mess it up every time. Mia Matalolo. Mia Matalolo. Uh, he was fired immediately coach Ken, after. A lot of people call it. Yeah, Coach Ken, right. Um, he was fired immediately after the Army-Navy game uh, when they lost in overtime. That was surprising. Tuesday, North Texas announced the hire of Eric Morris as its new head coach. Morris spent the 2022 uh, campaign as the offensive coordinator at Washington State and previously the head coach at Incarnate Word. Last week, USF uh, hired uh, Tennessee offensive coordinator Alex Golish. Um, Kent State also hired its new head coach on Tuesday, opting for Minnesota running back coach Kenny Burns to replace Lewis. And um, obviously, you know, the Mississippi State job is going to have to figure something out uh, after bowl season here, too. So uh, lots of jobs being taken, lots of jobs opening here, Nick. So wherever you want to start with all of this coaching movement. Well, and, and you know, we took uh, last week off, which uh, thanks to everyone for for uh, hanging with us for an extra week. So we, we probably would have discussed uh Deion Sanders with the rest of the world uh mm-hmm. last week but you know certainly the most fascinating hire to me um Colorado is a job you know uh, I I felt incredibly old when Xavier said that one of his first football memories was uh you know Leach's Texas Tech team upsetting Texas I was actually coaching football when that happened so <laughs> I, I feel uh pretty old but um uh, you know, in my early days, Colorado was kind of a national power. Um, maybe just before I really was uh, paying attention to, to college football, uh, they had a, a national championship in the early 90s. And then they were always kind of, you know, they're uh, kind of nipping it at Nebraska's heels uh, in, in the big eight and uh, in, in the big 12, you know, in the, in the mid to late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, and, and so it's been a long time, obviously Colorado has been consistently other than a, a few years earlier, um, last decade, uh, one of the worst power five programs in the country kind of consistently, they've turned out a lot of coaches and, um, it's a place that, you know, appeals to me. I I've visited and, and think it's a cool campus. It's a cool, uh, stadium, um, I, I've always had a little bit of a, a soft spot for it, uh, but the program seemed like maybe it had kind of been, you know, left behind and, and maybe left for dead. And if you're looking for somebody to come in and breathe new life, uh, Deion Sanders absolutely is, is, you know, 
maybe the 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 best opportunity you're going to have. So even if it doesn't work, even if it you know he's gone in a year or two off to to uh, you know a higher profile job, which is certainly a possibility. Uh, if he crashes and burns, which is a possibility, um, or if he makes Colorado immediately you know competitive and and a winning program like he did at Jackson State. Um, uh, whatever happens, it's it's going to be absolutely fascinating. So, uh, going to be watching, you know, what player, how is he going to rebuild this roster? Is already making some waves in the recruiting uh, trail that he was able to lure Sean Lewis uh, from Kent State, who you know just didn't win enough there to to get a big you know Power Five job, but for a few years looked like maybe he was ready. Had been on a lot of those lists uh, for you know Big Ten jobs and and things like that. Um, exciting offense at Kent State, scored a lot of points, moved real fast. Uh, so it's it sounds like it's going to be fun. He's building a, a strong staff there. Um, I'm really, really excited to see, you know, what happens. Um, otherwise, I mean, there, you know, how many did you list there? A dozen or so? Yeah, I know. There, there's been so much movement and we'll have plenty of time, you know, our, our first year, Head coach's draft is is just right around the corner, so we'll have plenty of time <laughs> to, to dig in all on all these guys. But um, you know, JB Chadwell was a hot name. Seemed like he was going to be in play for a couple of Power Five jobs. Uh, Felt a little lateral out. to me. So going from CC to Liberty. Yeah, the the thing is, I mean, Liberty has money, <laughs> and yeah. that's, I mean, that's it. I mean, they were Probably. they were paying. Hugh Freeze, uh, you know, like a like a Power Five coach for a while, they probably are, are you know, a good bet to come in and and be uh, the team to beat in Conference USA, maybe for the foreseeable future. Um, so, as far as you know, prestige and and yeah, Coastal Carolina for you know a couple of years ago was America's team and and certainly uh, has a lot of fans. Liberty perhaps fewer fans, but, um, if, if you didn't get the power five job and, you know, want to set your, yourself up financially and, and your family for uh, a long time, uh, that, that is a, a way to do it. Um, but I'm, I'm intrigued by GJ Kenny. I mean, he's only been a head coach for a couple of years. He was only, he was an offensive coordinator for the very first time in 2020 was hired at Hawaii uh, did some innovative things there, went to UCF, had, had some success, got the head coach job, took over for Eric Morris. You mentioned, uh, still playing in the FCS playoffs. They won their game 66 to 63 the other night, beat, uh, Sacramento state. So, you know, he's, he's hopped around a lot, but, uh, makes Texas state pretty interesting. Um, that to me seems like a little bit of a potential sleeping giant in the in the Sun Belt. Uh, Sun Belt certainly has gotten a lot tougher over the, just the last few years, but um, I'm intrigued to see how that works. Uh, it it seems, sounds like going to you know do away with the only transfer portal recruiting, which makes a lot of sense because that seemed to turn off a lot of Texas high school coaches, and, and you definitely need that. Uh, when you're leading an FBS program in Texas, you, you need um, the the you know high schools on your side, and, and uh, it's going to be really interesting to see you know what he does long term. I'm curious to see what Navy 
ends up doing. It, it sounds like there's a chance maybe they promote from within. Their defensive coordinator is is the interim coach now. But you know, Kenny Matalolo had been there 15 years, and there hasn't been much movement in the service academies and, and head coaching positions uh, in a in a long time. And and so you know, curious to see will he immediately you know get back into coaching maybe as an assistant somewhere or uh is he you know somebody who's gonna um do a year and, and do the tv thing but um you know uh, the the day before uh, and understandably you know we saw so many tributes to uh mike leach on on tuesday on monday and sunday i mean there were there were so many um just uh, pages after pages, it seemed, of, of people writing really, really uh, wonderful things about what Ken Niamatololo, you know, meant to them as, as former players and, and coaches in the profession. Um, so he he really seems like one of the, the, the really good guys in coaching and, and curious to see what his next step is. Um, but some guys getting uh, new opportunities, you know, a second shot at it, Barry Odom, what's he going to do as a head coach at the, you know, group of five level? Um, Stanford is a, a job we've talked about before that's really intriguing to me. They're, they went the FCS route, um, bringing in you know the Troy Taylor who uh, was on the other end of that 66-63 uh, game. Um, just a lot of uh, interesting fits. I mean, I, I think sometimes about you know the NCAA video game, and hmm. if you guys played the coaching carousel, right? And it seemed so random, uh, like oh. You know, so and so left. Um, you know, if you looked at this and and you had simulated to 2022 <laughs> as Barry Odom, the head coach at UNLV, you're like, that doesn't make any sense. You know, nah, man. I, I, but here we are. So uh, yeah. it, it seems like one of those off seasons where you never really, you know, can tell uh, where guys are going to end up, and there's so many moving parts. But I'm I'm for for each you know move. Uh, pretty intrigued on uh, where things go. I mean, Jeff Brom seems like a home run hire, right? Probably could have been hired at Louisville a couple of times by now. Um, but we've seen before that home run hires don't always work out. So um, it's a pretty pretty interesting list. Uh, Xavier, is there uh, any of these that stand out wholly and completely to you here? Oh, well, Brom is the number one guy. Like, I think, and to Nick's credit, he was saying that, you know, it, it may not be a home run, but I think Brom is just perfect. I, I don't know how else to put it. Uh, now, I felt the same way about, um, what's his name? Uh, Crystal Ball going to Miami last year. So, that, that's, that's completely hold off. Scott but, Frost, home run hire. <laughs> I knocked it that way. <laughs> Jim Harbaugh um, for the first five years or whatever it That's was. also, that's very Worked out eventually. Um, but, yeah, I, I thought. I just think that Brom is making a move to a school that definitely is looking to take that next step in a in a conference that I think is still wide open. Uh, you hear? Yeah. <laughs> um, that, that, yeah, in a conference that I think is wide open still. Um, she, you know, at the end of the day, I think the ATC still does not have a, you know, a, a top, a tier one. Uh, I think it's Clemson still and everybody else. Uh, so if Louisville can find its way into a tier one with those guys, then, I think Brom is the guy who can carry him into that situation. Uh, I'm I'm extremely excited to see what Troy Taylor does at at uh, Stanford. Um, I, I know it's a little weird for them. I know we were talking about a lot of NFL guys. I said in, in particular, um, I think I named uh, oh man, 
who did I name in our last episode? Uh, he's currently an offensive analyst at Alabama. Oh, uh, he was in. The, he was. He was also a head coach in the NFL. I cannot remember his name. Bill right O'Brien. Thank you. Uh, as a possible candidate, because I thought they might go the NFL route again. Uh, but for them to go in this direction, I'm excited. Uh, I, I think it's you know completely off of the beaten path for them, which may be something that they need. Um, you know, I think that he's looking at you're looking at a guy who you know could give them you know just some new blood down there. Uh, I think that's a team that has gotten rather stale under Davis Shaw. I think they kind of got used to what they uh, got to an expectation at some point of what they were going to do, not only on the field but uh, in the trend, in, you know, in recruiting as well. And, and to get some new blood down there, I think is huge. Uh, Jamie Chadwell going to to Liberty continues another line of guys who you know coach an immaculate offense. Uh, and I think we'll be able to bring in a lot of transfer kids. I wouldn't be surprised if Grayson McCall follows him to Liberty. Uh, but I, I love that for them as well. Uh, Jimmy Chadwell, I think it hit his ceiling at Coastal Carolina. And once again, like I said with David Shaw, I feel like it began, began to get a little stale there. This past year there felt like, you know, Coastal just wasn't – didn't have the bite that they had in previous years. Um, they, they've lost a lot of talent. And I think that, they, you know, the writing was kind of on the wall that either Jamie Chadwell was going to have to make a move or that team was going to go south, especially with some of the teams that just entered the Sun Belt. Um, and obviously, Dion going to Colorado was funny to me first because Colorado was like, we don't even have the money to bring you in, but hey, welcome in. Um, so I thought that was hilarious. But, I mean, you've already seen the effect. As soon as he named, uh, you know, as soon as he na- was named the coach, what was it? They, they put up a, a post. Uh, it was 1,400 ticket season ticket deposits, 2,000-plus uh, season ticket interest forms. 6,000 plus season tickets are in the pipeline uh, just from him deciding to become the new head coach at, at Colorado. Uh, and, and so obviously the fervor is there. Uh, you know, I think every transfer, pot, every kid that's entered the portal has either given him a phone call, shot him a text message, or, you know, emailed him as the possibility of going to Colorado, uh, even if they ultimately don't decide to go there, just because obviously it's prime. And, and I've said this a lot of times in a lot of Twitter spaces this far. The Pac-12 will be looking for a third team to carry the weight of USC and UCLA being gone. Um, now, I'm not saying that that will immediately become Colorado, but from a from a neutral perspective, seeing Deion Sanders on the field as the head coach of Colorado will ultimately will you know immediately give them that cachet uh, that that will be necessary to replace at least part of what UCLA has done over the last couple of years, right? Because uh, after you know USC and UCLA leaves, it's what. Oregon and Washington are pretty much, and Utah are carrying your, you know, your name cachet in that conference. They're going to be looking for another team to do so. And I think that if Colorado can do so, they do have the the lineage uh, to an extent, right? Being a relevant team in the nineties, if they can get some of that back, right? uh, I think it'll go a long way in helping the PAC 12 who recently, as of, I think earlier this week signed or is is looking to sign new media rights deals and, uh, and actually waited to do so until Dion was, you know, the, the head coach at Colorado. So I think they see the writing on the wall there. Uh, I think that obviously the media, t- you know, the, the, the television rights see the writing on the wall with him being there as well. And I'm looking forward to it. I think, you know, heck, Colorado hasn't been interesting since Cordell Stewart was there. Like, let's let's get some guys in that can make them an interesting ball club again. I think Colorado is – I'm not going to call them a sleeping giant, but they are definitely a team, I think, in a university that has missed – you know, the opportunity. They were one of the few teams that I think had an opportunity, kind of like Nebraska coming into the 2000s, that could have carried the wave of the 90s, and they didn't do so. Uh, and I think that they can go ahead and try and get back to what they were in the 90s. Um, if they could do that in this era, who knows what happens. You know, Denver is not a 
didn't you know Colorado is not a small market by any means. Uh, so I think that they have an opportunity there if if you know Dion really wants to stay there and create uh, you know a power within the Pac-12. Well, it's uh, you you hit on something there at the at the end that that I want to make sure we mention. You know, it's part of the reason that's become a, a more difficult job. You know, Denver is is a big market, um, but it's not necessarily a football powerhouse and there's not it's not really all that close to texas it's not really all that close to california you have to recruit both and and you know there's not a a ton of you know arizona certainly is is uh produced a lot more fbs talent than it did back when colorado was really good but um it's it's a the type of program where you do kind of need to recruit uh, with a pretty wide net and yeah. uh you know Mel Tucker has had shown the ability that that he could recruit uh nationally has has done that and you know Deion Sanders is going to be able to recruit nationally in, in sort of a supercharged way so you know if it, it really is kind of the perfect scenario if if you're Colorado because um you need to to find a, a reason why people want to come. I mean, once they're, it's one of those things like once you're there, you know, it appeals to a lot of people might not always appeal. Nick, to, are you saying if you build it, they will come <laughs> something along those lines, maybe I, you know uh, it, it, it might not always and, and hasn't the last couple of decades appealed to um, the most talented high school football players in the country. But if you give, you know, uh, one of the, the hottest names in, coaching a uh, hall of fame player who knows everybody and and can you know put you on a path to success whether it's to the nfl or or you know opportunities in college now um and to be able to really really cast that wide net um i'm optimistic I, i'm i'm regardless i'm i'm going to be watching really really closely i at first was surprised when Dion. Uh, took the job because I thought kind of like you, you did, it's tough to recruit for Colorado. Obviously everyone wants to play for coach prime. So it's not as hard for him as it would be for, uh, you know, anyone without name brand recognition like him. But um, after hearing about the issues at Jackson state, I, I completely understood why he wanted to get, get the hell out of there. To be honest with you, it seems like it is a mess uh, at Jackson State, uh, just in terms of the finances and the bookkeeping, and it's going to be uh, nasty for everything above him. So, you know, it rolls downhill. No, thank you. I'll get out of the way. I'll go to Colorado and make Colorado good. And then he'll really be, if he makes Colorado a Pac 12 contender, uh, he is going to be, uh, you know, offered an enormous job in the next five years or so. So, well, um, like, remember, Mel Tucker went five and seven and then got the Michigan State job. Like, People yeah. <laughs> understand. People understand what little can be done at Colorado at the moment, and if you're able to turn them into somewhat serviceable, you're immediately thought of, a, you know, as a you know a, a heaven sent, a god sent, and you might end up somewhere else. Like Mel Tucker didn't do anything that's, special there. That's what scares <laughs> me a little bit. Like I, I, I'm glad he's there, and I really hope he stays for at least a little while. Like if if Florida State comes calling, you know, it seems like. Mike Norvell's got that thing rolling uh, pretty well right this second, but um, you know, that, that certainly would be understandable, but I don't know. I, I would love to see Colorado uh, c- 
competing on a, on a yearly basis. We got a little bit of a taste of it under Mike McIntyre, what, five, six years ago. Um, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, I, if he does have some early success, I would I would like for him uh, to stay. But um, I, I remember we, we talked a little bit about when he got the Jackson State job. I was very skeptical at first. Um, it just didn't seem like you know, yeah, Deion Sanders is, was a great player. I mean, yeah, he's involved in, you know, the high school all-star game, uh, whatever it is. But I I was just very skeptical. A guy with no, you know, college coaching experience was going to be able to come in and, and run a Division One program. Uh, and he proved me wrong real quick. So now I'm a, I'm a believer until uh, proven otherwise. So I'm, I'm, I'm really, really curious uh, to see, you know, what he does. And also, you know, I, I understand it, it was bumpy at times uh, for him at, at Jackson State and sort of the way he, he left, raised some eyebrows or, or you know, when he left, uh, didn't didn't meet with the media after the uh, SWAC championship game. Um, but I, I think also, and a lot of other people have, have mentioned this as well, but um, brought a lot of uh, interest, a lot of new eyeballs, a lot of uh, cachet to uh, the SWAT to uh, HBCUs to the FCS, you know, as a whole. Um, so, you know, it, it certainly uh, didn't always go super smooth. And, and uh, there's there's maybe been a little bit of uh, uh, soreness on, on, you know, some folks in sort of how, how it all came to an end. But um, did a lot of good while I was there as well and certainly won a lot of football games, too. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's it helps when you can recruit the best players in the world to a small school, and uh, he uh, obviously had enormous recruiting classes. But uh, yeah, you're right, the X's and O's part, he did well too, undefeated for Jackson State. So uh, very good hire for Colorado, and we'll see if that can uh, move them on, um, you know, from the cellar. Which is, you know, I mean, how many times this year, Nick, do we say that Colorado was the worst P five team? Uh, in the country by a wide margin, a couple times at least, right? They were one of the worst teams. They, they, <laughs> you don't have to like, put power five on that. They're just no, bad. Yeah. They ranked 126. They currently rank 126 in our power rankings. Uh, team performance, they ranked 131st, dead last in the country overall, with the very worst defense in the country. So it, it's, you know, not just as he taking on a hard job, a hard power five job. But right this second, Colorado is one of the worst teams in college football. So, um, you know, I I didn't necessarily love the uh, just sort of the idea of going in and, and, you know, paraphrasing, obviously, he didn't quite say it exactly like this, but none of you are going to be here anyway. I'm going to bring in all these players. Don't necessarily love that. You know, I would love to see or would like to see a little bit more of a Hey, if you stay and work hard, you know, that type of thing. Uh, but that's not necessarily today's reality. And and I'm also really uh, fascinated to see, you know, what he does if he does completely remake the roster. Um, so I don't know. The whole thing's fascinating. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting story. Uh, that's for sure. So uh, the portal is rocking and rolling, Nick. Like I said before, 
Um, you know, there's tons of names in it. I want to go through the whole list, but are there a couple that are standing out to you? I mean, Grayson McCall uh, is an enormous name. Devin Leary, a big name. Phil Dracovic, uh going to uh, Pitt uh, is one of the big ones that we've heard. So uh, what are the ones that we've heard or ones that are up in the air? Are you uh, really keeping an eye on here? Yeah, well, anybody who uh, is a Patreon supporter and and uh, you know has access to our team profiles, we do keep track of all FBS transfers best we can on the team pages. We also have a separate transfer updates page that uh, has some notable names. Um, so you'll see, you know, guys leaving, where they're going, all that good stuff. You mentioned Grayson McCall. I think is toward the very top of the. Uh, you know, quarterback free agents, uh, if you will. And, and you know, Xavier mentioned that Liberty obviously makes a lot of sense if you were to, to follow Jamie Chadwell. But uh, just before we sat down to record, there was some reporting that uh, sounds like Grace McCall may be visiting Auburn. Pretty good fit there, uh, potentially. And, and, you know, based on the last, you know, three years of, of seeing Grayson McCall when he's healthy, uh, incredibly productive, incredibly uh, versatile player, uh, put up some huge numbers as far as yards per pass attempt, also can run it a little bit. Um, so just a, a really, really intriguing player overall that I think could succeed um, if you were to, to take a little bit of a step up. Uh, so Auburn's an intriguing landing spot. He's from North Carolina. You know, NC State lost its quarterback. Uh, they certainly seem like they've got maybe the quarterback of the future uh, there. But if you get a year of Grayson McCall, kind of an interesting fit as well. So very, very curious to see where he ends up. Uh, we did, on the topic of quarterbacks, see earlier today that Austin Reed from Western Kentucky uh, pulled his name out of the transfer portal. Uh, head coach there, Tyson uh, Helton, had been in the mix, I think, for some Power 5 jobs. I think that was part of why Austin Reed uh, maybe entered the portal. Um, sounded like he, he might have been in the mix at Purdue, and, and Reed it, you know, was sounding like could be in play either at Purdue or Louisville. But going back to Western Kentucky, and, and so that's you know good news. That also impacts our um, bowl game projections because, as we'll talk about here in a little bit, you know, we, we certainly do try to account best we can for transfers and opt-outs and all that good stuff. So uh, having Reed back and if he's you know able to get back and play, certainly uh, important here as they're getting ready to, to play that game. Allie Jennings, former Power 5 receiver, dropped down, was it West Virginia, dropped down, just absolutely you know took off at Old Dominion, uh, is now going back to the Power 5 level at Virginia Tech. Uh, if I were to you know, look at our numbers on uh, offenses. Uh, Virginia Tech was a little bit better than Colorado, but not you know, all that much. So uh, that is a uh, little bit of a, a head scratcher, but they brought in a, a really interesting quarterback prospect as well, Chiron Drones from Baylor, who uh, I've read a lot of really good things about how he was wowing the coaching staff, you know, his first spring practice. And, and we saw uh, just a, a few um, you know, games he was able to get in this year, but intrigued to see if he's going to be able to, to compete for that job. And uh, that's a pretty interesting, you know, one-two uh, quarterback receiver combo. And, and what else are they going to be able to do to fill out that roster? Um, Marshawn Lloyd and Jaheim Bell, both transferred from South Carolina. Bell uh, is committed to Florida State, who was in the mix for him 
uh, coming out of high school. He's a Florida native. Bell, really, really interesting. You know, uh, played a lot of running back this year in addition to tight end. And we know that Florida State and, and Mike Norvell um, is creative with how they use guys in a variety of positions. So really, really interested to see how Bell fits into that offense, which has really, really started to impress late in the season. Um, just some other names. I mean, Caden Prather, big wide receiver out of West Virginia, really talented. Curious to see where he ends up. Uh, Oklahoma State added a couple interesting transfers. Sean Tyler, the running back from Western Michigan. Uh, also Deshaun Stribling, who was a receiver at Washington State. Alabama's lost a couple of uh, receivers to the transfer portal. Um, uh, Treshawn Holden entered uh, earlier this week. Christian Leary just earlier today uh, announced that he's headed to uh, UCF. Holden is is going to end up in Oregon. Um, uh, Oklahoma lost Theo Weiss, who has uh, since committed to Missouri. Uh, North Carolina is losing a handful of players, including backup uh, quarterback Jacoby Criswell is headed to Arkansas. Um, multiple starters in the secondary, so they're going to be, you know, North Carolina's had its its issues defensively. Uh, they're going to be even more shorthanded. Um, in the secondary, uh, in the bowl game, uh, Storm Duck is out. Tony Grimes is out. Um, in addition to Criswell, the, the quarterback, uh, SMU doing some really interesting things. I mean, they're going to have one of the most talented rosters at the group of five level year in and year out. And, and part of that is the transfers. They brought in, I believe, four Miami transfers uh, this weekend, but also Jonathan McGill, who is a starter uh, safety at, at Stanford. Um, it's just a, a, a long list. I mean, we've got, you know, former five stars like Chris Marshall from, uh, uh, Texas A&M. Uh, we've got playoff teams looking ahead and rebuilding units, but Darius Henderson transferred from Arizona State, is committed, uh, to Michigan. Uh, you know, Michigan found one of the best centers in, in college football, uh, this time last year and, and is a big part of that offensive line and why they're back in the, uh, the playoff this season. Um, and yeah, it's just a, a, a long list of, of some pretty interesting names, uh, plenty of, of you know movement, uh, curious where a lot of guys end up. But we are starting to see some things take shape and, and some guys you know commit to their new programs now that the portal has been open for over a week. Uh, Xavier, you, your thoughts on the transfer portal. Is there anyone that stands out to you that you're really interested in to seeing where they land or you want to see them in a specific spot or anything like that? Well, obviously Mertz right away is the, is the guy for me that I'm excited about for multiple reasons, right? This is a guy who over the last couple of years, I've been waiting to take a step in the right direction uh, since his freshman year and all the hype that he got from Wisconsin. Uh, I just feel like it was his time to go. Uh, there was nothing for him there. Obviously with the new regime coming in with Fickle, I felt like there was nothing more for him to stay there uh, for. Uh, I thought Fickle was going to end up bringing up his guy. There was no reason for him to, to, to be there much longer. Uh, Spencer Sanders is, is another one. Uh, he is a guy who I think never got his proper due diligence at Oklahoma State uh, for being a, kind of just a steadying force for that university. Uh, I always akin him to, to Jake Browning at Washington. Everybody just felt like there was just more there that could be had. I mean, he never hit maybe the levels of what they maybe have expected of him, but he was still extremely serviceable and could, extremely consistent for a guy at a university who had as much turnover as they did at their skill positions on a consistent basis. I mean, he played with Tylen Wallace and Chuba Hubbard in one year and then had a complete overhaul, had to play with a completely different new unit in the very next, and there wasn't a ton of drop-off. Uh, 
obviously we talked we, we talked about Grayson McCall. Uh, he might be considered the best quarterback in this year's transfer window so far. Uh, obviously, him and Devin Leary both uh, looking to be you know looking for good moves. Devin Leary for me has is one of those guys that if he makes the right move, he could be a top ten to fifteen pick in next year's draft. Uh, I, I genuinely believe that. I think this year. He was playing behind a poor offensive line at NC State, and it showed due to the injuries that he sustained. Uh, but if he picks the right school, that's a kid who I think right away draft guys are going to be all over him. I mean, they were all over him coming into this season. And if it wasn't for the injuries and, you know, diminished play because of a bad offensive line, I think he would have ended up leaving and going straight to the draft. Um, outside of quarterback, I don't think I have any right off the top of my head that are – oh, I don't know if you guys saw, but Trey Sanders – tweeted at Deion Sanders and was like, hey, Unc, uh, do you have any space <laughs> on your roster? Um, you know, um, obviously, Jaheim Bell going to Florida State is a great move for him. Um, you know, I think that he's a guy that right away makes Florida State better on the outside, which is, I think, something that they struggled with in some, in some of the matches that they had last year, not having more than one guy who could take the top off the defense. Uh, but him, you know, that's great. Ra-Ra Thomas uh, and Jojo Earl, both of them, being in the, in the, in the uh, transfer portal. I think Ryder Thomas is a guy who at Mississippi State was extremely talented. Uh, I just don't think he necessarily had uh, all maybe, – maybe maybe all the production that people would have expected out of him in that in, in a system like an air raid, uh, but in my opinion was still ridiculously productive. Uh, and it, once again, has enough availability left, still being only a sophomore or going into his junior year to really make an impact for somebody's university over the next two seasons if, if that's the case. Um, I'm trying to think, I think, I think, we're, I think we'll get all there. Um, obviously I think we've talked about some in the past. I, I think I mentioned Jeff Sims in our, in our last episode, whatever that was. Um, that's, uh, so yeah, I, I think that a lot of the, the quarterback class this year might be better than last year's quarterback class. I know last year's quarterback class obviously featured Caleb Williams in it. Uh, but I think not just the talent that you have on display, but I think the differing of guys that you can get in this year's class. Right, you can go anywhere from a, a, a gunslinger, uh, you know, a, or a pure dual threat kind of guy, um, with uh, Grayson McCall to more of a pro style with Devin Leary to having kind of you know, uh, you know, DJ Uyungalale, who I think has Michael Penix written all over him. Uh, that's my kind of you know, that, that I, I he does. I think he's a guy who's gotten a bad rep for a an offense that lost a ton of talent and has not necessarily been able to replicate that. You know, outside of Will Shipley, Clemson hasn't had a receiver of note in a long time. It's been a while. And I think that that's not necessarily, you know, based just off the fact that DJ had a problem throwing the football. I think he goes to the right Pac-12 school, the right Big 12 school, and you look at him put up, you know, Michael Penix X numbers, and everybody's like, where was this a year ago? And it's like, well, check the system. Sometimes the system is the, is the problem, and it's not always the player. Uh, so, yeah. I, I was going to say, I wrote down Graham Mertz because mm -hmm. this time last year, the first name out of your name, or excuse me, the first name out of your mouth when we had this conversation was Michael Penix. And I kind of kind of had the same reaction that I did with Graham Mertz. <laughs> kind of like, really? Like, all right. I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, but you you nailed that one. So I wrote down Graham Mertz. But now you're telling me DJ Uyunglele is. I think I think when you <laughs> which I, name do I, I need I, to write down, Xavier? Which one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. Write down. Start with DJ. Start, start with DJ. Absolutely. Um, I agree on that. I, I, I think yeah, he'll be I, yeah. I think he'll be exceptionally better. Do I think that he's going to 
turn himself into like a top, you know, 10 to 15 pick in next year's draft. Not necessarily. He would have to have almost a flawless season to do that. Uh, for me, I think Devin Leary is Bo Nix in, in this year's transfer uh, market. I think he's going to come in and be kind of what he has been. Um, and that'll win you nine, you know, nine games and possibly more depending on what your team is built like. But I think he will be who he's been. Just like Bo Nix for, for Oregon was who he is. He is a good quarterback, but at times he was never a great quarterback, right? And I think that's what he was this year for them. Uh, I think that's what Devin Leary can be and, and has been in his time at NC State and will be for whomever university he goes to. The one that has the most upside is Grayson McCall because obviously we've only seen him at the G5 level. Um, if he comes into the right situation, if he goes to Auburn and, you know, takes the job from Robbie Ashford and, you know, goes nine and three with that roster next year, I mean, the sky's the limit for that kid. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, oh, and another one I'll throw in there, Luke Altmaier. I think he's a guy that kind of has gone completely under the radar. Um, you know, he's had to sit behind quarterback. Big-time recruit. Quarterback over there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think that he has there, – there's some, there's some just untapped potential there with him that, you know, given the right system and given the right coach that wants to allow him to mature in their offense, we'll see a, a, we'll see a guy who in two seasons from now we're talking a lot about. Well, and, uh, and back where we started, and then we'll <laughs> – How about Michael Penix coming back? Huh? Yeah. Michael Penix coming back? back next year. Bo, Bo said yeah. he's coming back next year too, correct? Mm, I don't think yet. From what I heard, okay. uh, Bo Nix – would really like to go to the NFL uh, is going to wait on what the, you know, uh, uh, what the board is, what says, the, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, might, might have to come back. I kind of, you know, I kind of hope he does. Uh, but Washington is going to be an interesting team to monitor uh, this offseason. Oh, and with, yeah. with Pinnock's back, I mean, a lot of good teams are losing good quarterbacks and he played incredibly well. So yeah, um, yeah, probably dropped their bowl game, but, uh, you know, he should be good next year. So we'll see uh, what happens there. But uh, let's get into the bowls. Right. I mean, um, we've got uh, go. Go ahead. Sorry. Just before we started recording. And since we're not really going to talk about Ohio State, thought maybe we'd slip it in here. Uh, Travion Henderson going to have foot surgery, going to miss. Oh, you know, Jackson Smith and Jigba's obviously been out has already announced that that he won't be playing in the in the playoff and Trayvon Henderson uh, foot, you know, been bothering him a lot uh, bad enough for for foot surgery and he will be out. So Ohio State down, you know, two of its best uh, offensive playmakers, man, that's uh it's a bad beat, brutal blow. So, uh, you know, uh, breaking so news. So, just going to be Mayan like Williams, Oof. and he's questionable yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, he is so, right. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, yeah. there's uh, there's a lot to go through here. But Marvin uh, Harrison's still good. Amico yeah, is still good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot. Of, oh, they still got a ton of talent, even though they're missing those uh, big pieces. I mean, Jackson Smith and Jigba barely played it all this year. Uh, Travion Henderson has been missing for a while. So they've adjusted, but obviously a guy they need, they lost to Michigan, you know, so uh, going to be a tall task has them to beat Georgia and basically a road game for them. Although Ohio state does travel very, very well. So uh, we'll see what happens, but let's get into the bowls that are happening this week. If you guys are familiar with this process or not, let's explain how we do it here. So we talk about the bowls. We record on Tuesday night and then we go through the bowls to next Tuesday. So uh, we will, 
hit all the bowls throughout bowl season, but this is how we do them. Obviously, a little more condensed, a little more lightning round than our normal games. So we are going to start out in the Bahamas Bowl, UAB versus Miami of Ohio here. And um, this line uh, has opened up a little bit. It's UAB by 10.5. We have it at closer to uh, our number is 8.5. The total is 44 and a half. We are on the under in this game. Uh, in terms of the game itself, Brett Gabbard and starting left guard Caleb Schaefer are in the portal for Miami. Avion Smith will be starting. He started the last two games of the season for them. Um, interim head coach Bryant Vincent will be uh, coaching UAB in this game as Trent Dilfer is going to come in and take over. Oh, yeah, we didn't uh, even mention Trent after Dilfer. That. Yeah, Trent yeah, Trent Dilfer. Dilfer. The new uh, UAB coach. <laughs> I mean, honestly, the last thing I remember about Trent Dilfer is him grabbing a kid's face mask and everyone getting mad at him. But he had coached high school very well, from what I understand. So uh, UAB uh, gra grabbing one of their own. So we'll see uh, what happens with that uh, moving forward as well. But uh, in terms of the game, Nick, the Bahamas Bowl uh, kicking us off here on Friday. Uh, I, I like Miami in this game, to be honest with you. I, I think... Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Dwayne McBride punched out, but he's he hasn't and looks like he's going to play. So that's a tall task. I'm a little less uh, excited about Miami pick now, but in my confidence pool, I have one on this game because who wants to start out with a bunch of points on the first game? But, um, <laughs> you know, uh, I'll take Miami in this game. How do you see it playing? Yeah, but there aren't a whole lot of double-digit favorites, you know, so you got to yeah, gotta factor that in too, I suppose. But, uh, yeah, UAB – also, another pretty fascinating. I'm I'm less optimistic, I'll say, about their long term future. But hey, we'll see. Well, I, you know, I've I've certainly been wrong uh, before. But uh, also, save a little time. We're on every under again. I'm going to have to look at that in the off season. Not sure why that's happened the last three or four weeks, but uh, every under. Uh, but yeah, I you know we have UAB as a as a favorite more than a touchdown. Um, uh, assuming Dwayne McBride plays, even if he does play, they've they've split carries pretty evenly uh, in recent weeks. He and Jermaine Brown, both guys were you know all conference uh, performers this year. Um, UAB is is certainly I think going to be able to run the football. They're number two in our rushing offense uh, team performance. Miami doesn't doesn't play at a very fast pace, so sometimes you can. Um, help a, a defense that might struggle, although Miami's rushing defense is, is uh, maybe the, the brightest spot uh, for them as a team this year. They're borderline top 25 in our uh, defensive rushing team performance. So a uh, decent matchup there. Miami has struggled to consistently move the football, and this UAB defense is not quite – you know, what we've become used to under UAB, the, the you know, change in uh, coaching uh, or, you know, at least head coach this year. Um, plus, they lost a lot of good players last season. Um, not quite as strong on that side of the ball, but you mentioned Blake Gabbard is out. We did get some good news if you're a, a Miami uh, fan. It sounds like Gabbard is, is going to return uh, from the transfer portal, but uh, has been hurt for, you know, quite a while. Avion Smith, who I kind of liked what I saw out of him at, at parts this year. Um, he and, and Mac Hippenhammer, one of the best uh, receivers in the Mac, do have some playmaking ability. Um, there are, you know, uh, some pieces on that Miami defense uh, 
a couple of, of linebackers, very productive, Ryan McWood, Matt Salopic. Um, but I do think that UAB, you know, despite it being sort of a strength on strength situation, is going to be able to run the football. They're just one of the best rushing offenses in the country and, and have two really, really good running backs. Brown is, you know, maybe even got a more diverse skill set can hurt you in, in more ways than McBride, but McBride is, you know, probably an NFL running back. So um, they've got two guys. They're both fresh. I think they're going to be able to, to you know, score enough here to win. I think UAB is rightly favored. We've got it as a relatively low scoring game. Um, but in bowl games where there's a little bit of a layoff, you know, it can go one of one of two ways. Is the offense rusty because they haven't played in a little while? Uh, this is an early kick in an unfamiliar environment in the Bahamas. Uh, or, you know, are the defenses a little sloppy, uh, not tackling real well? A lot of big plays, big runs, missed assignments, that sort of thing. So um, our projection, you know, goes a little on the, you know, maybe the offenses uh, are, are going to be a little out of sync. I think if you're relying on a, a rushing offense like UAB and, you know, uh, Avion Smith can can certainly uh, hurt you on the ground. Um, perhaps there's a little less of that. Um, so I, I'm not super confident in our under. Uh, but this does seem like a game that UAB should win. Just not sure that that they're going to be able to get you know to to double digits and, and cover the ten and a half. Xavier, your thoughts on the Bahamas Bowl here? Do you have a good lean for UAB or Miami? See, you know it's funny. We came into last year's Bahamas Bowl almost dead set that Toledo was going to win that game, and then Middle Tennessee won that game, and I think all of us came away like, what just happened? Because uh, we were pretty much down on Middle Tennessee all year. And then they come to the Bahamas Bowl and put together a performance that none of Three weeks to prep. That, it makes Three a difference. Three weeks to prep, right? Yeah. yeah. And also, don't they, ne- never trust Toledo. That was that was our first. <laughs> 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 and then on top of that, I mean, you know, like Nick alluded to, it's 11.30 a.m. in the Bahamas. Like, this is not a – it's a weird game. It really is to start off bowl season. Even with all that being the case, I – Think I'm, I'm, I think I'm confident in Miami. I know that was the most like unconfident way of saying that, but I, I think I, pre- I am. I'm Ron uh, Burgundy. <laughs> I, I think when you look at Miami, I think they just have too much talent. Um, I think they're also coming in as the better team. Uh, they, you know, winning their last two. Um, on the flip side, UAB, you know, obviously one of their last two was against LSU, but you know, losing pretty handedly there. Um, you know, and, and they probably feel a little bit hard done by by their record. You know, they're six and six, but they lost three games, you know, by one score or less, um, you know, in a lot of their games. Heck, they lost four games, excuse me, by one score. So I, I think when you look at them, they probably feel like they were, you know, this close from being a nine and three ball club uh, and probably feel like they, you know, could compete with anybody. Uh, but with a turnover happening at the university, you're, I'm with you on this one, Nick. I'm not sure about what Trent Dilfer is going to end up doing at UAB. Uh, this feels very Mike Mayock to the Raiders kind of way. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm not a very, not a huge fan of this, uh, but I, I'm going to go with Miami of Ohio here. I, I think that they're the team coming in that has a little bit more confidence in themselves. And, and two, you know, when you go into bowl season, your last two, you know, last two to three games is really kind of a precursor of who you are and what identity we're going to be able to see. And I think right now Miami of Ohio is coming into this game, you know, looking like the better team and have shown that over the last two weeks. And I, I mean, I'm excited to see what they end up doing. 
We go over to the Cure Bowl also on Friday, which is number 24, Troy versus number 25, UTSA. The line right now is Troy by one and a half. We're slightly on UTSA, less than a, a point, less than half a point. Uh, so this is pretty much as close to a coin flip as you can get, obviously, on the under 54 and a half. Again, Nick, I'm with you. I'm on UTSA in this one. I just have this, you know, gut feeling Frank Harris is going to pull another good one out. Brady looked pretty good, uh, you know, in, in his debut as a starter or bond. Uh, yeah, Barnes over Brady, excuse me. Uh, 175 yards against North Texas in uh, Conference USA Championship. Um, Troy is missing a wide receiver, Jabari Barber. Uh, he missed the uh, Sunbelt Championship. He has the fourth most receptions on the team. So a little bit of, of uh, you know, they're down one piece there. Um, so what do you think about this matchup for the Cure Bowl? Well, I, this is one of the bowl games I'm most excited about in this early uh, slate. You know, two teams that ended up in the top 25 of – the playoff rankings, two conference champions. Um, Troy surprised a lot of folks this year, um, but we've been talking, you know, the last two, three seasons about how uh, strong Troy's roster was, how well it stacked up uh, in the Sun Belt. And they were a very experienced team, you know, coming into this year. Uh, and it paid off, you know, got a, got a first year head coach that gave a spark, you know, sometimes that, that certainly can happen. Um, and the new staff was able to get the most out of the talent on hand. And a lot of that talent is on the defensive side of the ball. Um, we talked leading into the conference championship game that Troy is top 10 in defensive roster strength in our numbers. Uh, literally the, the starting defensive line at Troy which is, you know, two edge players, Javon Solomon and Richard Jubnor, uh, and the interior, TJ Jackson and Will Cholo, all have been all-conference players. All were either first or second team this year. Um, that group ranks as the second best starting defensive line in the country, according to our projections, only behind Clemson, which it's possible, actually, if I, if I look at our most up-to-date numbers, um, because Clemson, it was just announced, uh, that Miles Murphy was going to be out with, uh, you know, going into the NFL draft. It's close. It, it, Clemson's still ahead slightly. Um, they had four perfect 100 rated players starting on that front four. Uh, Troy has a couple and, and, uh, and everybody's in the nineties. So really, really impressive unit, um, leads that defense up front and then, you know, they do have an All-American linebacker, the NCAA's all-time leading tackler, Carlton Marshall, a uh, really fun player to watch. Uh, Reddy Stewart is an incredibly productive corner. So this Troy defense is good. I mean, top 25 in our team performance, was, which we do take into account strength of schedule. So that's pretty impressive. Number six against the pass. They're able to rush the passer. Uh, they've got some players, you know, that can shut down a passing game uh, in the secondary. And they've got enough playmaking ability. They finally settled on Gunnar Watson as the starting quarterback. Uh, Kamari Vidal recaptured, you know, some of the promise that he showed early in his career. So they're able to run the football, have uh, some quality offensive linemen, Austin Stidham, Jake Andrews, both of those guys are uh, all conference players. So Troy, I think is, is, you know, I understand why they're favored. They're, they're uh, solid, very, very few weak spots, but this UTSA team, 
I mean, you mentioned Frank Harris. Does he have another one in him? Uh, one, another guy we found out was uh, coming back next year uh, somewhat unexpectedly. I had him down as being out of eligibility, but no, he had some injuries earlier in his career, must've gotten a waiver, but it's hard uh, to tell he, these days. It know. is. It is. Believe me. Uh, but yeah, you mentioned Barnes looks like, you know, maybe uh, the next really, really good UTSA running back. Uh, Zachary Franklin, Joshua Cephas, both of those guys have made a lot of big plays this year, stepped up with DeCorian Clark out. Oscar Cardenas had a huge uh, conference championship game. UTSA has has been makeshift on the offensive line all year, has overcome a lot of injuries, overcome some injuries on defense as well. Um, but they've just been able to weather every storm. And and uh, mentioned before that, you know, I was a little surprised that Jeff Trailer didn't get um, that there weren't programs coming after him and, and making him say no uh, in this, this coaching carousel cycle, but the job he's done and, and UTSA overcoming those injuries and just, you know, Frank Harris as a whole, I think is, is the single best player in this game has the ability to take over the game. Um, I, I, I do think UTSA is, is going to be able to, uh, score some points on, on Troy. I'm, I'm not necessarily, you know, super optimistic that, that we have, you know, the right team favored. Um, but I, I do understand it. UTSA has just been so consistent, so good. You know, Troy finally played up to its ability, but but UTSA has been playing, you know, up to uh, for, for years and maybe even a little beyond what a lot of people expected. So I do trust UTSA and think it's certainly a game that they can win. Um, but yeah, Frank Harris is... is uh, maybe going to have to once again put the team you know on his back uh, against a really really talented Troy defense uh but I, I think he could do it Xavier your thoughts on the cure bowl you uh, in on UTSA or Troy here can we first of all talk about that this is like the only game between two conference champions and it's on the first day of bowl season like <laughs> I, I, I just like what? Like this game should definitely be getting higher magnitude than you know. I, I don't mean to slander anybody, but I'll throw them in there. Uh, like the Cincinnati Louisville. Sorry, like these are two conference champions. I don't care if it's the G five level. Like these guys deserve to get a little bit more love than you know three o'clock on a Friday. Um, yeah, I'm looking Detroit. for the next ranked on rank game is uh, Thursday, December 29th between Texas and Washington. That's the That's next okay. ranked on rank game after the and 16th. Which is kind of crazy. Hey, well, but game. but usually we kind of have to wade through some, you know. I mean, that first bowl game. I mean, are we really all that excited about UAB in Miami? I mean, thank God but it's not the that... Arizona Bowl on day one. I don't <laughs> want Wyoming, Ohio, right after you know UAB, Miami. So no thanks. But, but UTSA and Troy. I mean, for the for day one, start not on bad. a high note. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. I, I see how you tried to twist it there. I just said, I'm just saying. Uh, no, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to be uh, a lot of bit biased here. I'm, I'm going to take Troy. This is a team that I've had since the beginning of the year. You know, I thought that they had a chance of winning the Sun Belt. Um, I thought that they were one of the better teams in the Sun Belt. And, you know, after watching them in game one against Ole Miss, I said, all bets are off. I think that they can run the table, uh, you know, it, barring injury or anything like that, you know, bar, you know, and outside of one loss to App State um, on the road, mind you. This is a team that rattled off, you know, nine straight wins uh, or 10 straight wins, excuse me, you know, including an absolute shellacking of Coastal Carolina in the Sun Belt uh, Championship game. 
you know, I turned on that championship game and caught it like midway through the second quarter and turned it off because it was game over already. Uh, they are just a team that has found their footing and, you know, they look at times so unstoppable, especially with the defense like theirs, who has been able to just really, you know, hone in on their opponents. They haven't given up more than, you know, 20, they've given up 20 plus points three times all or four times all season. Uh, outside of that, they've only in other games they've only given up more than ten points twice all season. So this is this is a, a Troy team that I think is just well balanced. You know, coming into this matchup, you know, against UTSA, who you know finally got got their comeuppance against North Texas in their conference championship game, um, and did so in you know in fabulous fashion, beating them forty eight twenty seven. Uh, but this is a team in, in North Texas that is going to be matched up probably against, you know, one of the best, de- better defenses that they played all year. Uh, but I think styles are going to clash here. And it's it's the, you know, immovable object, you know, versus uh, an offense. Unstoppable force. And, absolutely. And, you know, you look at UTSA and that offense goes. And they go so I mean, they, they can go with the best of them. You know, I think Houston figured that out in week one, losing to them 37-35, right? Uh, a Houston team that, you know, I, I think as of now may be ranked. No, no, sorry. You know, I think it was a, maybe a precursor for uh, a year that we didn't think Houston was going to have. So I, I just think that – oh, no, I did lose the cliche. Scott, you're good. Uh, <laughs> okay. But, yeah, right. <laughs> I, I, yeah, yeah, no, complete, complete brain fart. Uh, but, no, I, I think at the end of the day – you know, this this Troy team has shown the ability to slow down some of the better offenses in the G5. Um, and, and I think this is, I won't say maybe the ultimate test, but it's got to be up there. Uh, but, you know, they, they showed me a lot being able to, to hold Coastal Carolina to, to 26 points. And really that 26 points is not even indicative of what they did to them because they scored some, like, some garbage time TDs. Uh, they really held them to around 14 points. They were really, you know, stifling them all game. To give you an idea, they were up 31 to 7 at halftime. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> I think – that, you know, give me Troy in this one. They are just rolling right now. Uh, Gunnar Watson had, I think, maybe arguably his best game in that championship, uh, at, you know, going 12 of 17, 318, 318 and three touchdowns, uh, going, you know, blow for blow with Grayson McCall, who we just raved about maybe the, being the best quarterback in this year's transfer portal. So give me Troy here. Uh, like I said, this is probably going to be the one of the best bowl games uh, in the first two weeks. Uh, so, yeah, I'm excited for this one. I- I'm going to be, you know, at- watching this one closely at 3 o'clock on a Friday. Once again, this is crazy. But, yeah, give me Troy here. All right, let's go over to the Fenway Bowl, which is Louisville versus Cincinnati. Uh, and as of right now, Louisville is a one-point favorite. We have it closer to Cincinnati by a field goal, a little bit under that. 42.5 is the total here. We're right on the money. Uh, in terms of 42 and a half being the total here, Nick, but this game is Nick, crazy. Still under, uh, though. Yeah, yeah, Nick, still under. Go, still under. Yes, before you go, go have you seen how tight the dimensions are for this bowl game? Like, in I've Fenway? seen a, I, I've seen a, like, like the, a, a map. Yeah, it's like the north so, end zone is like right on the green monster. It's like, yeah, you have no space between like dropped pads and green monster like it's right. i'm like right. god don't get hurt please yeah <laughs> I, I i i uh saw richard johnson tweeted something uh about you know when are we going to learn to like why are we playing a bowl game in in uh baseball, baseball stadium yeah and i replied in boston in december 
I mean, it's, you know, I, I'm a little north of Boston, uh, a couple hours away. But when I woke up, it was seven degrees today, by the way. <laughs> so uh, they're going to be playing. Uh... I was literally 10 times that today. It was 71 <laughs> degrees here today in Houston. So. Yeah, it, it was seven in uh, oh, in my Christ. in my neck of the woods in New England. And, oh, you know, Lord. Boston Fenway, right? Uh, not 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 far from the, the water. So you get the, the wind in there. Uh, potentially as well, but um, yeah, I, I might opt out if I were uh, playing in this game. And, and you know, <laughs> both both teams are without their head coaches, which, by the way, is not something we account for in our projections. I, I've done it in the past to say like, oh, if a coach is, if a coach leaves, just put in a uh, you know a default uh, coach rating. But you never really know how a team's going to respond and and we've seen plenty of examples of interim coaches who are able to uh kind of rally um a team in a bowl game and and some of those guys end up with the the full-time job so obviously cincinnati and louisville have have both made outside hires but uh still it's just something that we're just going to keep the coach ratings how they are um but the the biggest you know impact one both of these teams are going to be uh, without their starting quarterbacks, uh, most likely. I'm not sure Ben Bryan is is officially out, but I, I know that he did. Oh yeah, he's out for the season. They didn't. They did say that. Um, but Malik Cunningham is is uh, opting out and, and preparing for the NFL draft. So um, that I think is the biggest difference here. If it were just based on um, you know the the regular season rosters, um, Louisville would be. Uh, favored in our projections. Uh, Louisville's been playing somewhat surprisingly pretty good defense. I mean, top 20 defense nationally in our team performance numbers, top 25 against the run. Um, Got a a lot of production from guys like Yaya Diaby and Yusir Abdullah. Uh, Pretty, pretty solid defensive effort after, you know, some years where, where that was a real, real struggle uh for the program but you know Malik Cunningham's not the only guy who's going to be out Tyon Evans uh Tyler Hudson so you get you know your best running back is gone your your top wide receiver is gone um uh, nothing else is is official but it wouldn't surprise me if we see you know some of those defensive guys I mentioned uh maybe maybe go ahead and, and and moving on as well so I I do think that our projection because we do have Cincinnati actually favored as you mentioned have it as a wrong team favorite situation i have more confidence in this one than i do utsa because you know cincinnati even though you know might not have been as strong on the field uh in 2022 i mean cincinnati defensively actually grades out even better top 25 across the board 16th in defensive uh team performance overall but i i you know i would understand louisville being favored um if Malik Cunningham were playing, if those offensive uh, playmakers were playing, but Cincinnati, not not really, at least to to our knowledge yet. Uh, Leonard Taylor, the tight end, is is going to be opting out, uh, preparing for the NFL draft, but he had been hurt. It was questionable to to maybe play in this game anyway, so not a real surprise. Um, and I've got a little bit more confidence in Evan Prater as a backup quarterback, sort of getting you know a crack uh in the bowl game so um i i i don't hate it that that we're on cincinnati uh we are on the under 
I don't hate that at all. As we mentioned, you know, the, the weather might be a little bit of an issue. Um, two defenses that have been the, the better sides of the football for both of these teams and, you know, both are, are a little bit shorthanded on the offensive side of the ball. So um, it's a close projection, not not necessarily even though we have, you know, the wrong team favored. It's it's not a huge, huge projected edge. Um, but I, I, I kind of like that we've got Cincinnati um, expected to, to win this one. Yeah, I'm on the Cincinnati side as well. I figure just like, you know, if, if all things are equal, this is so close to a coin flip. Uh, Xavier <laughs> just looked up the, the weather. Why don't you read us the, the weather report? 28 degrees, <laughs> 68% chance of rain with wind at 14 miles per hour. Xavier. I mean, uh, have you been in weather that cold? I have not <laughs> once, once. And we oh, got you guys are missing out. Come, yeah, come we, visit. we played in a we played in a blizzard in Kentucky my freshman year of college oh, um, playoff man. game. A, bu- a, bu- a bunch of Al- Southern Georgia, Alabama, Florida boys went to Kentucky to play in the snow. It didn't go well. It didn't go well. Yeah. I know yeah. it, the weather gets <laughs> more draggy on you the older you get and stuff, and that's why you know I used to be like ah. I don't think I'd have a problem living in Alaska. No, thank you. Uh, you know, I don't know if I would have fun going to Alaska in the summer being from Arizona and Texas. So, right. uh, you know, no, no, thank you. But, but your thoughts, uh, your thoughts on this game between Cincinnati and Louisville. Yeah. Give me Cincinnati. I think this Louisville team, I won't say is reeling a bit, uh, but obviously, you know, from a recruiting standpoint, you know, Ruben Owens, uh, one of the best, if not, I think the best running back in this year's class reentered the portal. Um, after uh, after recent coaching changes, um, you know, and then committed to Texas A&M. This is a team that down the stretch, uh, Louisville, that is, lost some games that I thought that they were that they shouldn't have. Um, you know, I thought they were better coming into the game than Kentucky. Uh, obviously, Kentucky just outplayed them in that ball game. Um, you know, there's just a team at some point in the year had knocked off the likes of, you know, had rattled off wins over Pitt, Wake Forest, and James Madison in back-to-back-to-back weeks. I know people say James Madison, but if James Madison didn't, have to sit out conference championship this year. They would have competed for one, uh, being in the Sun Belt. They were, you know, six and two in conference and eight and three overall. Uh, so Destroy they were no slouch by any means. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were no slouch in the slightest. Uh, and the only reason why they had to sit out was because of obviously stipulations coming from the FCS level. Uh, so you know, I, I think that Louisville's coming in a little bit on a, a sour note. Um, obviously, with the turnover at their university for Cincinnati, I, I don't think they. I think losing Bickle is less of like a sour m- note, but more so like a, hey, like congratulations, man, like you earned this. Um, you know, I felt like Fickle lo- leaving for Wisconsin was an absolute like okay, it was you know it, it was about time, right? We always uh, you know me and my friends joke that if it was Ohio State, there was nothing for Fickle, but you know obviously he finally did take a job of a P five level that I think you know fit his criteria. Um, and I think for Cincinnati, they have no have very few hard feelings for him. Um, and they played rather well, you know, in, in his, you know, in his last game or in their last game with him uh, against Tulane, losing in 27-24 with a backup quarterback. Um, and even in that game, Evan Prater gave them very little. Um, and they still were able to hold their own, losing in only 27-24. Uh, he gave them 10 for 26, 102 yards in interception, for those who don't remember. Uh, yes, he gave them 83 yards on the ground, but as from, from the throwing uh, perspective, relatively nothing. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm going to take Cincinnati in this game if they do have Ben Bryant available. Um, Nick, I don't know if you did say he was playing or not, uh, but I, it, I started to say that I wasn't sure, and then mm-hmm. then I uh, remembered he he was 
when they said he was going to be out in the last game, uh, he's one of those uh, foot surgery, I believe. So he's, he's done. Right. So, you know, I, I still think when you, when you look at this Cincinnati team, they've shown me enough without him to, to be viable in this matchup. Uh, I think there's a Louisville team that I think made strides this year. Don't get me wrong, but still have some, some, some ways to go uh, before I, I, I will trust them over a Cincinnati team. that I think it is where they're trying to get to, right. Which is just a consistent winner within their own conference. Um, and I think, you know, and Nick, you can tell me, I'm, I'm pretty sure the talent numbers shouldn't be too far off between these two teams at this point. No, they're pretty similar. Yeah. So okay. Cincinnati right now is, is uh, 51st in roster strength as a whole, 67th on offense and 38th on defense Louisville. And, and this is without those guys I mentioned, uh, they're 61st in roster strength overall, 78th right. on offense, 41st on defense. Be a totally different story if Malik Cunningham was playing. Uh, maybe even if Tyon Evans and, and Tyler Hudson. But uh, yeah, they're they're very comparable with Cincinnati. Um, you know, in, in some areas, uh, a little bit better. Right. All right. No, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. Well, I was just going to move on to the next one. Got anything more no, no, in this fine. one? No, you're good. Okay. <laughs> Las Vegas Bowl. We got number 14, Oregon State, against Florida, and we have a lot of opt-outs for Florida. Uh, Anthony Richardson is down. Offensive lineman Osiris Torrance, defensive tackle Gervin Dexter, all have opted out. Seven other players in the portal. Um, QB Jack Miller looks like he is the likely replacement on the Oregon State side. Luke Musgrave has opted out. And leading running back uh, Damian Martinez, his status is up in the air after being in the, injured in the, the Civil War game against Oregon uh, in terms of where we have this game, the line is 10 and a half. We're much closer. Oregon state by less than two points, less than one and a half points slightly 52 and a half is a total about a field goal underneath that Nick. So tell us about Oregon state versus Florida. And uh, is this game going to play out as close as we have it? Or is it going to be closer to the line here? Uh, so let me first say I have close to zero confidence in this projection. Um, <laughs> However, I do think it's an interesting thing to talk about because you know we're we're one of the I'm not I'm not saying this is going to have you know better results that that we're going to uh, win or or you know have a, a another uh, winning bowl record. I have no idea, um, but we are one of the few, maybe the only um, you know projection system. Uh, out there that that drills down to the player level and factors in okay this guy's opted out this guy's injured this guy's not going to play uh florida has a lot more of those guys than oregon state so on the one hand i i see okay oregon state is a 10 and a half point favorite florida's missing all these guys you know something is off with our number only having oregon state favored by a point and a half However, one of the things that I've noticed sometimes, I think that whether it's the market, uh, maybe it's the odds makers from time to time, I think there there are some instances where people overcorrect on injuries. You know, top to bottom, even with with you know some really key players out, Florida's got a more talented roster. Um, a lot of guys they're going to be depending on are younger. You know, Jack Miller's hasn't even played for Florida this year, and he's he's getting the start. Uh, 
but Oregon State's been, you know, the the quarterback that they've got, uh, Bill Goldbrinson is, or excuse me, Ben Goldbrinson is, is, you know, wasn't the starter at the beginning of the season. They've been playing with a backup quarterback. Uh, he's he's managed the team pretty well, but not necessarily uh, the the type of quarterback that is is going to drive them to a victory uh, himself. They've been a balanced offense, and and Damian Martinez has been a big part of that. Emerged. Um, one of the best freshman running backs in the country, but, you know, uh, took over a, a pretty crowded and talented backfield. Um, so if he's not able to go or if he's not 100%, that's going to hurt a little bit. They've got some depth there for sure. Um, they've got some playmakers at receiver. They've got one of the best offensive lines in the country, um, but they've, you know, got uh, they're going to be missing one of their best defensive players, uh, Rajon Wright, uh, announced – uh, he's going to the NFL draft, going to the senior bowl, uh, will not be playing in this bowl game is having, I believe it's a, a wrist uh, surgery. Um, but, you know, Oregon state's a little bit shorthanded and they have not, you know, they don't have quite as much depth uh, as Florida to begin with. So, you know, on the one hand, yes, this is a game that Oregon state absolutely uh, can win is rightly favored double digits. Yeah. Maybe they win by two touchdowns, maybe more. We've seen Florida just completely mail it in, in a bowl game. However, 10 and a half is a lot of points and Florida, you know, still has a top 40 roster in, in roster strength, top 20 defense, uh, just as far as, as talent goes. Now you could say they ranked about a hundred in all of our defensive team performance numbers. That's absolutely true. Um, but Florida's got some talented players and I think they've got a little bit more depth and, and I'm curious to see how some of the, the young players that, um, you know, weren't necessarily, uh, expecting to, to play big roles. Now they're having an opportunity see how they do. Um, so I, I, I understand Oregon state being favored. We do have Oregon state favored. I don't have a ton of confidence, even if this is one of our bigger projected edges, um, but it would not absolutely shock me if Florida with a backup quarterback with, you know, some guys maybe you never heard of or, or haven't thought of since, uh, you know, national signing day, um, make some big plays and, and win this game. I think that's certainly possible, probably not likely. And, and, you know, certainly it could go the other way, but I wonder if this is a case where, um, perhaps there's a little bit of a, an overcorrection, on some of the the injuries and the opt outs that Florida's dealing with, and you know maybe Oregon State shouldn't shouldn't be a double digit favorite. So maybe there's just a little bit of value there. Whether it works out or not, I don't know. Xavier, your your thoughts on uh, Florida versus Oregon State here? I mean, like Nick said, when you look at the roster, an SEC team is almost always going to be better than a you know Pac-12 team, especially when you know, they're both kind of middle tier of that conference, which Florida is right now uh, in Oregon right. state is, I don't know, close to maybe close to the top of tier of the pack. 12 they are ranked in the top 15 right now, um, right. but on the field, Oregon state showed it. Florida didn't. Uh, so to me, it's kind of that easy. You know, um, I yeah, think that same. Oregon state's kind of rolling. So I, I'm going to take them in this game. What do you think? Same. Uh, I think Oregon state's just kind of doing what they're supposed to do in Florida with all the talent you know, fell short in multiple ways. And I think the, the, the biggest thing for me is with Jack Miller coming in, this is going to be his first competitive start since having right thumb surgery. And I'm just not sure how much he trusts that thumb 
in a competitive setting, right? Like at the end of the day, this is going to be a kid that comes in and he's going to have to get his get hit first before he reacts to anything. Uh, you know, every every player tells you after coming back from injury, I have to see what how my body reacts. Um, and it was on his throwing hand. And so for me, you know, uh, that is a huge part of this, which is, you know, Florida already didn't have a great offense as far as, you know, it's, you know, available talent on a consistent basis. With Anthony Richardson, sometimes he was high, sometimes he was low. You know, and now you're telling me that a guy's going to come in and Jack Miller, who, you know, the last time we saw Jack Miller in a competitive setting was their spring game. Then he got surgery, you know, later that year or later this year, excuse me, and, and then recovered from it around mid-October, late November, and now he's going to be playing in his first competitive game since that spring game. And that's just that's just a little bit too many ifs for me already for an offense that had problems moving the football through the air. Um, you know, heck, and when Anthony Richardson was there, you know, he had 15 straight incompletions, and some of those were drops, some of those were him. You know, and I, I just think, you know, uh, with, especially with the receiving core that failed to really separate itself outside of Ricky, really Ricky Pearsall, which, you know, God forbid he didn't transfer there because who else would they have had this season, right? He was just so good for them that, you know, he kind of covered up some of the cracks that they had. But I, I just don't see where all of this talent from Florida actually shows up for the first time this year. You know, you're a 6-6 six and six ball club because you were that bad all year, right? You know, you, you can sit there and say, yeah, we beat the doors off of a South Carolina team that beat Clemson and, uh, you know, uh, God, just blank for me again. Oh, Clemson and Tennessee, right, in back-to-back weeks. But you were also the same team that lost to Bandy. So Long long time ago. Long time ago. I mean, yeah. Pac-12 but, champ Utah. Right, exactly. You know, but, the, you know, and, and, only Every guy's playing. To, and only lost by five to Tennessee, right? But this is also the same team that only beat USF by three. And so you look at this team, right, and you go, where do they stand, right? And that's a USF team that's 1-11. So I'm just not going to be confident in picking Florida here when I saw an Oregon State team go toe-to-toe with an Oregon team, come back and come back from and win that game in, yes, in some ways ridiculous fashion. You know, Oregon in some ways threw away that game. Uh, but, you know, they also had to win it. Oregon State had was given chances, and they took them. Um, you know, this is a team in Oregon State that, you know, is a three-point loss away from Washington, um, away from possibly being in the Pac-12 championship game. You know, they had a three-point you know, three loss to Washington and a three-point loss to USC. This team is six points away from being 11-1 and one and argue, having an argument to be in the, the, the conference football playoff this year. So give me Oregon State. I said at the beginning of the year I thought Oregon State was going to take that leap this year. I loved what I saw from them last season towards the end. Um, and yeah, I, I think they get a, a good win over a, an SEC team. And anytime you beat an SEC team in a bowl game that is a notch in your belt, I don't care who you are and when you beat them. You know, uh, Utah is still talking about the fact that they beat Alabama in the Sugar Bowl 10 years ago. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I think you always take that notch in your belt because you're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah, you're right, Nick. It might be even longer than 10 years ago. Um, but, um, you know, I think this Oregon State team has done the right thing, and now I think they take you know that next step in being an SEC team in a bowl game. All right, let's go over to the LA Bowl, which pits Fresno against Washington State in this one. The line right now is Fresno State by three. We are right in line with that. 54 and a half is the total. We are, of course, under that uh, by a pretty decent margin here, about nine points. So uh, we're on Fresno in the over. Uh, in terms of this game, Washington State is losing their number one and number three wide receivers to the portal. Uh, Deshaun Stribling and Donovan Ollie are gone for this one, Nick. So uh, does this slant everything towards Fresno State or does Washington State 
uh, still come to play in this one. Well, and Washington State also will be without Renard Bell, who missed a, a large portion of the season, worked himself back, and and then the first game ended up uh, having a, a season-ending injury. Um, you mentioned we're we're right in line with uh, the oddsmakers here. We have Fresno State favored by more than three, but less than three and a quarter. So very, very close. Um, and this this is a situation where if we have everything right as far as who's available for Fresno State, I feel okay with us being on the Fresno State side. Uh, if Jake Hayner is a quarterback, I feel okay about that. I, I think this is a game that Fresno State can win. Um, Fresno State, as we saw when they lost to UConn, and and you know some other struggles without Hainer, they are a completely different team um, if, if he's not there. So, guy who's going to the Senior Bowl, you know, quarterbacks don't always play in, in the bowl game. We haven't heard anything, um, but there's certainly a chance there. I haven't hedged, you know, I haven't haven't uh, brought down Fresno State from full strength, um, but we would have to basically have everything right. You know, Jalen Cropper playing, Jordan Mims playing, Jake Hayner playing, you know, David Perlis playing um, for, for Fresno State to be expected to cover here. Plus also, I, I should mention, uh, those of those of you who've been listening since September, you knew when uh, non-conference games were a big part of, of our projections, the numbers were very, very bad. Um, they were especially bad in a power five versus group of five performance. We've done had excellent, excellent numbers, you know, starting in, in the first of October. Uh, but now we're back in a situation where, you know, we're not we're not having conference games anymore and we're having a handful of uh, P5 versus G5. So my confidence is a little bit shot. Also, I went back and looked at the, the bowl numbers from last year. We went 10 and 27 against the spread in bowl games. So after three really, really good years, last year was horrible. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, this this projection is right there in line. Uh, could go either way. And the only reason we've got what we've got is we expect Fresno State to be at absolute full strength. And Washington State, you know, as you mentioned, is, is not. So uh, if something happens and one of these guys isn't going to be able to play, um, then I'd feel a, a whole lot you know, better if I were on the Washington state side. So um, this one, I don't have a, a great lean, don't have a great feel. Even if Fresno state's at full strength, this is a game that Washington state could certainly win uh, as the, you know, deeper and, and more talented team and a pretty good defense. One of the better uh, defenses, certainly some of the better defensive players um, that Fresno state will have faced uh, in, in quite a while. A name to know if you don't already, uh, Dion Henley is, is, you know, some scouts, uh, favorite player. I mean, linebacker does everything, former receiver, incredibly athletic, super productive, uh, only played one year at Washington state, but, but great, great player. Um, and they've got some pass rushers as well. So Ron Stone, Brennan Jackson, those guys, uh, should be able to, to get after Hayner a little bit again, if Hayner is going to be, uh, playing. So see how it shakes out, but I don't necessarily have a, a, a great read on it. Um, but we do have Fresno State winning and, and slightly covering again if everything goes right personnel wise. Xavier, what do you think of this game? Are you taking uh, Fresno State? You taking Washington State? Uh, which way do you lean? Give me Washington State. I, well, first and foremost, before I go, 
I, I do think this is going to be an absolute barnstorm. This game could easily be 45-48, and, uh, and that's not an exaggeration in the slightest. Uh, neither team plays all the best. Total games. points? Yes. 40, 40, 45 total points. <laughs> Just that's <laughs> our projections on yeah, yeah, you're, yeah. Sorry, I interrupted. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're fine. <laughs> I just, I, just I, I already know the projections are for the under, and, and so my my prediction is way over. It. Uh, <laughs> but no, I, I do think that when you look at this game, I'm extremely excited, excited to see what Cam Ward. You know, anytime I get to watch Cam Ward, I, I'm happy to see it. Right? Uh, you know what? Even even in losses, in, in bad losses, he still looks extremely impressive. You know, look at the Apple Cup. Right? You know, when they lose fifty one thirty eight. Cam Ward at times was making Houdini-esque plays. And I was just like, oh, this kid is going to be really good next year. Hopefully his defense can come around. Uh, but I, I just really think that when you look at this game, I like Fresno State to win. So I'm going to change my initial answer of Washington State. Um, I just think Fresno State plays just enough defense. And when I mean just enough, I mean just enough. Uh, so, you know, in Washington State, yeah, defense is optional. Uh, you know, some games they decide to show up, right? Um, in other games, you're just looking at like, okay, you guys are on scholarship too. You know, you can stop them if any time here, anytime that would be nice. Uh, you know, watching that, watching them against Washington was really rough, really, really tough to watch at times. You know, it was just like, well, well dang. Um, you know, um, so I, I think I'm going to take Fresno State here. Also, I, I'm really excited to kind of see the, the turnout here uh, for this bowl game, I, I, with it being in LA, with it being in Inglewood um, at SoFi. That's a NFL stadium. Um, and obviously, typically for these bowl games, I, I hope it just doesn't look like your, you know, your run of the mill like high school football championship, where it's like ten thousand people in a seventy thousand stadium, and you're just like, where's the noise? Where's the atmosphere? Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm kind of excited to see what the atmosphere looks like for the stadium. Uh, Fresno, California people will probably be like, Fresno is ridiculously far from LA Xavier, uh, but you know, I'm, I'm expecting them to turn out pretty well um, in this game. But uh, yeah. I'm going to take Fresno State here. To, to give you guys an idea, Fresno is three and a half hours away from L.A. Uh, so make the trip, guys. Pullman, make the trip. Right. Yeah. I mean, make the trip. <laughs> and three and a half hours is being nice with that kind of traffic. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm looking at, uh, you know, the Texas Bowl game in San Antonio going mm, two and a half hours there, two and a half hours back. I don't know. And that's without that L.A. traffic. <laughs> it's not nearly as frustrating. At least it's open driving uh, for the most part. Uh, but let's go over to the Lending Tree Bowl, which would put uh, Southern Miss up against Rice here. And the uh, spread on this game is Southern Miss by uh, six and a half. We're on them by a little bit more than that. Forty-five and a half is the total. We're just about a point and a half under that. Uh, Nick, I don't know, man. This game is hard for me to pick because I think Southern Miss should dominate this game, uh, especially with T.J. McMahon. Uh, most likely being now AJ Padgett started the, the last game of the season against North Texas for rice. Uh, but I don't trust Southern miss very much either. So uh, I'm going to take the Eagles, but uh, with not a lot of confidence points in those confidence pools there. Uh, how do you see this game going? I'm a little more confident. Uh, rice is 122nd in our power rankings. They're the lowest rated bowl team. Uh, the only bowl team with the losing record, um and yeah they they've had some moments they've got some uh you know decent players but you mentioned backup quarterback uh, Luke McCaffrey who who's you know come around as a receiver uh has uh, missed the last couple of games not sure 100% whether uh he will play uh one of Rice's starting linebackers just this week announced that that he's going to the transfer portal not 100% sure if he's uh going to be out of the game but 
uh, more often than not, seems that that guys like that uh, don't stick around for the bowl. Grayson McCall being an exception, but you know Southern Miss, you know they've had plenty of uh, quarterback issues as well, health wise, and and um, you know have have struggled on offense. But Frank Gore, good player steps up, makes plays, does a variety of things for them. Jason Brownlee, big play wide receiver. Uh, and Southern Miss's defense is is pretty good. They're uh, 24th in our D-line performance uh, ratings, the secondary. Um, very productive, grades out as a top 30 unit um, in our uh, you know, position rankings. I, I think this is a game that, that Southern Miss should win. Um, and, you know, I think it's got a chance to be – somewhat comfortable. Uh, uh, Xavier, your, your thoughts on uh, this game between Rice and Southern Miss? Yeah, give me Southern Miss. This is this was a Southern Miss team that I was completely wrong about in some ways. Um, you know, I, I think I, I talked about them and James Madison both struggling in the, in the Sun Belt this year. Um, I think Southern Miss, quote-unquote, struggled, but they did a lot better than I expected, them, you know, going 4-4 four and four in the conference and 6-6 six and six overall. Um, I expect them to do – you know exactly what Nick is talking about. I expect him to, to handle business here against Rice. Um, we talked about weather earlier. This is going to be an ugly game, too. Uh, <laughs> the Lindsay Tree Bowl, if I'm not mistaken, is in Mobile. And uh, if anybody's ever been to Mobile in the you know in, in this time of the year, it's extremely cold off the water. Uh, this, so this is going to be another one of those games that you know you're definitely bringing a parka and wearing like two or three leggings because uh, it's awfully cold uh, in this matchup. Uh, but give me Southern Miss here to win um, and, and finish off with that, like I said, which was a, a, a much impressive season from them. Like I said, I didn't expect them to do as well as they did in the Sun Belt. Um, and I think winning this game will just be a punctuation on that. Year. We go over to the New Mexico Bowl, SMU versus BYU. Uh, the line in this game as of right now would be SMU by four and a half. We have it closer to SMU by two. 64 and a half is the total, a little bit under that as well, Nick. Um, you know, there, there's some question. I mean, Jaron Hall uh, doesn't seem like he's going to be able to play in this game. And the backup, Jacob Conover, uh, is in the portal. So he might get Sol J, Maiava Peters, or Cade Fennigan uh, starting this game for BYU. Uh, SMU is losing out on Rasheed Rice, who opted out uh, to play, uh, to go and train for the NFL draft. I mean, he probably would have missed with a toe injury anyway. But uh, how do you see this BYU versus SMU game playing out? Yeah, we have we have BYU covering. Um, as you mentioned, have SMU slightly favored. I I don't have a great read on it. I mean, there are a lot of NFL-bound players. Jalen Hall is one of those. Um and, you know, he does have the injury. Sounded like he practiced a little on Monday, but uh, limited. Did play, you know, in the last game, played against Stanford um, after initially suffering the injury uh, the, the, you know, weeks uh, prior to that. So I'm not sure. It might be one of those situations where they sort of err on the side of caution and, and uh, he doesn't play. And, and as you mentioned, if he doesn't, they're they're diving down the depth chart a little bit. So a little bit concerning, but SMU has has some NFL players as well. And and if Rice is not going to play, um, that's that's certainly a big loss. And, and Mordecai is going off to the NFL. Um, some of these quarterbacks, if they're NFL bound, might play. But, you know, maybe maybe we don't see a full game. I mean, we've, we've seen some bowl games in the past where guys play um, you know, one half or, or things like that. So, um, 
it's difficult in, in that scenario to project, but we did um, in our projection account for Hall's injury and have SMU at full strength, and we still have BYU covering. So I guess that makes me feel a little bit better about being on that side. Um, not not a ton of you know confidence really in any of these, but uh, this is this is one um, particularly you know don't have a, a great feel for, uh, but could certainly see uh, BYU keeping it close, especially if it, you know Hall is able to to come out and play. It sounds like you you read something that says he's unexpected. Um, if he's not, then yeah, I think BYU is probably in trouble. Yeah, that was uh, talking to Thor Nystrom over on uh, the uh, Betting Pros show. Uh, got got a little info uh, that said that you know, Sharon Hall most likely not going to play in this game. So gotcha. uh, I, I'm leaning towards know. SMU slightly. Xavier, do you do you have uh, it, it's SMU for you in this one too? Yeah, I mean, this is a team that barring a two lane blowout. They were exceptionally good on the second half of their year, right? They, they, you know, they rattle off, uh, you know, six or uh, five of their last seven matchup, right? And having a two point loss to Cincinnati in there, uh, like I said, the only game that they really were bad in that second half of the year was against Tulane. So this is a team that definitely found their footing in the second half of the year, um, and, I, and I think we'll carry that into the bowl game. Uh, you know, like I said earlier, confidence is huge coming into these bowl games. So yeah, give me SMU. They're playing exceptionally well down the stretch here. Um, you know, coming off the back of a win over against Memphis, which always has been a bogey team for them, even though Memphis, you know, is, is the 6-6 six six ball club, has always been a bogey team for them. Uh, so, yeah, give me SMU here. All right, we go over to the next game up, which is going to be the Frisco Bowl, Boise State versus North Texas. In this one, uh, the line right now is Boise State by 10.5. We have a, uh, about half that, uh, Boise State by 5.3. 56.5 is the total uh, we're about a touchdown underneath that one, Nick. Um, I have just an insane amount of confidence in Boise State. Uh, one of my higher confidence picks uh, for sure in this game. Uh, George Lani was injured in the Mountain West Championship game, uh, but he's practicing. He should be good to go. And North Texas is dealing with Seth Luttrell being fired after you know getting into a bowl. And uh, I guess they said the marker was eight games, and he would have a shot at eight games if they let him coach this one. But He's gone, so uh, probably a little bit uh, chaotic at North Texas. So I'm leaning towards Boise State in this one. Uh, who do you have? I, I I agree with a lot of your points, uh, and Boise State is a team that our projections I think have been a little bit low on because um, they played really really well, uh, especially once they got into conference play. Once Hank Blackmeyer um, you know, entered the transfer portal, I had kind of given up hope a little bit on Boise State, and they completely turned it around, playing incredible defense, top 15 in the country in our defensive uh, team performance numbers. They're 21st nationally and overall uh, team performance. So, um, you know, Taylor Green is, is uh, taking over that quarterback job and, and really added an element to the offense. They, off, you know, changed offensive coordinators as well, which helped, um, but defensively, and, and they've, you know, struggled with injuries, especially in the front seven. Um, but this unit's played really, really well. And one of the, you know, even though they came up short in, in the conference championship game against Fresno state, um, have been one of the, you know, hotter, more consistent, uh, teams, 
at the group of five level and, and, you know, the second half of the season, especially North Texas, uh, you bring up a lot of reasons for um, why they might not necessarily show up in this game. Uh, they've really, really struggled in a lot of our defensive numbers that, you know, we take into account they are 119th in defensive team performance overall. Uh, the defensive line ranks 126th in D line performance, but, it's kind of a weird thing where individually they've had, you know, quite a few defensive players who've had really, really good years. Uh, Mason Richards, all conference player, incredibly productive this year. Katie Davis, one of the best players in, in conference history and uh, team history, you know, very, very productive linebacker. Um, Ridge Tejada, who, who like Richards and Davis has, has been a all conference player. Uh, Deshaun Gaddy has been a little bit overlooked this year, but as a corner combo, you know, they've, they've done really, really well um, in spurts, but as a unit, you know, North Texas has, has struggled. So uh, we have North Texas keeping it close again, you know, 10 points uh, in a bowl game of, of teams that are somewhat similar um, talent wise seems like a lot to me, but I understand why Boise state is, is, you know, favored, um, by double digits. So I don't have a, a ton of confidence here. It does look like a game that Boise State should win and is rightly favored. Um, but I guess we are just, you know, maybe maybe uh, hoping, which is not necessarily what we're going for here, but uh, that North Texas uh, is able to kind of rally around the interim coach and, and um, rise up and, and, and put a good game together against a talented Boise State team. Uh, keep it close, but probably not going to be able to, to come out with a win. Uh, Xavier, your thoughts on uh, the Frisco Bowl, Boise State versus North Texas? Yeah, give me Boise State. You know, this is a team, like Nick said, I think outside of the loss uh, to Fresno in in their uh, championship game, this was an impressive ball club all year uh, and, and did so with, you know, Taylor Green coming in and really not missing necessarily too much of a beat. Uh, you know, yet he's been ex- extremely consistent, uh, not only in the passing game, but, he's, you know, he's shown flashes in the running game. Are running for 102, 105, and 91 yards, respectively. Um, I just think that, you know, and also for him, it's somewhat of a, a home game. Uh, you know, he's from Louisville, Texas, which, in looking it up, shout out to Google, uh, is about a 26-minute drive to Frisco. Uh, so he's coming home. He will have somewhat of a, you know, his own fanfare. Um, and I, I think that, you know, this is going to be a good game. Uh, but I, I think Boise State, you know, being the better team and, and having some dynamicism there at the quarterback position is able to, you know, uh, you know, beat a good um, a good North Texas team. Sorry. <laughs> no, that that's okay. Uh, it's uh, we all know you just had a baby, man. You know, so uh, it, it's okay. You you can lose cliches and trail off. It's all right. You turn into way. a regular dad. And I yeah. just put in the yeah. chat that my tongue is swollen, so I might be sounding a little weird. That probably threw you <laughs> off as well. <laughs> <laughs> you see, Nick's going through it too. So uh, <laughs> let's go over. Uh, yeah, I'm recording in a closet. <laughs> you are recording in a closet. Uh, let's go over to the Myrtle Beach Bowl on like Monday. Uh, this this one is Marshall against UConn. Uh, right now, the line is Marshall by 10.5. We have Marshall by a little bit more than two touchdowns in this one. 40.5 is the total. We are significantly under that. Uh, Nick, I mean, look. Jim Moore did a great job with UConn, right? Uh, they played some outstanding ball this year. They beat a good Fresno State team. Um, you know, they, they had some good wins, and they're in bowl season for the first time in a while. Uh, but I don't know. You know, 
Kalen Laborn and Rashin Ali are going to be just too much, I feel like, for UConn to handle. I feel like Marshall runs all over him. So I got Marshall in this one big. How do you feel about it? Yeah, great, great to see Rashin Ali back. Uh, I'm incredibly impressed with what Jim Mora did. I mean, winning six games uh, with this UConn roster, very, very impressive. I mean, I don't want to, to, to talk badly about, um, you know, players, uh, but just the way they grade out, the way we calculate things, uh, this this roster ranked 115th in roster strength. Uh, team performance, they rank 114th. So it's not like they greatly overachieved, you know, based on a lot of the the advanced stats that that we look at that go into those team performance numbers. They they just found a way to win games. So very very impressive. Uh, Marshall, however, you know. Had big moments, had some letdowns, inconsistent at times. Offense has been a struggle as a whole. Passing offense uh, has really, really struggled. Um, but top five defense and defensive team performance, um, I mean, they rank sixth in points per drive allowed, second in success rate against, second in uh, predict, excuse me, predicted points added per play, according to uh, collegefootballdata.com. Um, so incredibly solid defensively and you mentioned the one two running back combo I, I i feel like they're going to be able to feed Laybourne, and now that ali is back and and uh ready to go um those two should have should have uh, uh you know a chance to to uh do a lot of good work on the ground so um this is i think our biggest projected point spread we're over two touchdowns um on marshall and and you know I just don't know if UConn can do it again, uh, can do it one more time. This doesn't seem like a great matchup for them. Uh, would I be shocked if they find a way to win? No, they've they've done that a lot this year. But um, Marshall is the better team, certainly on paper, and I think uh, is going to have an opportunity to to maybe you know have one of the the more lopsided wins of bowl season. Xavier, your thoughts on Marshall versus uh, uh, Marshall versus UConn here? Yeah, give me Marshall. You know, UConn is somewhat of a, a good Cinderella story for us this year. I don't think anybody expected UConn to win six games. Uh, Nick, I think, what was our win projection total? <laughs> we were on the over two and a half, yeah. but, I mean, we were on every over at that, that right. end. So, um, I mean, they were they were dead last in our power rankings. They were 131st right, exactly. in our power rankings. And, our and projected they won't team be there numbers. next season. Shout out no. to UConn getting out of the basement. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but they will not win this game against Marshall. Sorry, it's just not going to happen. This is, this, this, is a, this is a Marshall football team that has had some very impressive wins on the year. Uh, you know, beating App State, um, you know, beating Notre Dame early in the year at Notre Dame. Uh, they played Troy rather closely, only losing that game by nine. Uh, they lost to Coastal by only 11. I mean, this this Marshall team came in this year and ran buckshot over, you know, majority of the, uh, the Sun Belt. And I think put a lot of people on notice this year, um, you know, uh, you know, up there in West Virginia. So give me Marshall in this game. Uh, give me Marshall to win big. UConn being the Cinderella story, if they were to win this game, what a way to finish out your year, right? Uh, but I, I do think, I do expect Marshall to win this ball game uh, pretty pretty handedly. All right, uh, let's go over to uh, Tuesday. Two more games to go. The Idaho Potato Bowl, Eastern Michigan versus San Jose State in this one. The spread right now is San Jose State by three and a half. Uh, Nick has got it by... Uh, a little more than five, 54 and a half is the total, about nine points off of that. So we're way on the under in this game. Um, just in terms of 
uh, the game itself. No real big changes here. Uh, I'm on Eastern Michigan. Uh, I, I just think that they're going to be able to handle that Boise weather in the middle of December a little bit better than San Jose State. Them boys from California, like me, uh, not ready for that cold at all whatsoever. Hey, so give San me Jose is not South Cal, uh, you know, not Southern Cal. I know, but that's still <laughs> different. Uh, going to Boise, I, I feel like uh, you you lived up there uh, in in that area. Uh, I think the cold just hits a little different, uh, yeah, and I this... think the Mi- Michiganders have a little bit more experience with it. Yeah, yeah, under I understand that. I understand that for sure. Um, Eastern Michigan, you know, somewhat similar to UConn, although it's been it's been happening for a while now. I mean, the roster just year in and year out ranks among the lowest in roster strength and uh, you know, things like that. They're, they're constantly at a talent disadvantage in our talent edge numbers, uh, but find a way to win games and, and sometimes do it really, really impressively. Um, uh, it, it was just, you know, one, one little data point, but, but something that sticks out to me a little bit is that last year, Eastern Michigan got absolutely blown out in their bowl game uh, by Liberty little bit different you know situation perhaps uh liberty certainly playing with uh, an nfl quarterback last season but um uh, you know that that talent you know being able to overcome a talent disadvantage hasn't always carried over uh for eastern michigan in non-conference matchups so i don't hate that we're on san jose state to to win or to cover uh certainly i you know i think you make a fair point um about the weather but Shevin Cordero's, you know, played pretty well. Elijah Cooks, excuse me, Crooks is, uh, no, Cooks had it right the first time, uh, has had a, a real big year. Um, San Jose State has two of the best uh, defensive linemen at any level in the country. I mean, uh, Valimi Fajoko has had a huge year, just absolutely, just, just huge, huge year, incredibly productive. 29 production points. I went through, did all the, the full team defensive production points updates. That's what a, an incredibly active linebacker, you know, might put up. Will Anderson gets like 29 yeah. uh, production points. And, and Fahoko has just been absolutely everywhere. And Kate Hall is still making plays and Kyle Harmon still making plays, you know, Trey Jenkins on the back end. San Jose State has some, some really, really solid, uh, players across the board they're not super deep they're not you know it's not like all these guys are going to be all pros um but you know cordero solid you know Kyrie robinson certainly solid had some moments cooks very very good uh the offensive line has been a bit of a struggle but defensively you know they've got a playmaker or two at, at you know each level of the defense so i i kind of like san jose state in this game, um, Eastern Michigan has been, you know, overcoming uh, doubters for a long time under Chris Creighton, one of those underrated college, uh, you know, coaches in college football. Uh, they've got, you know, playmakers as well. Uh, Taylor Powell has, has, you know, stepped up after he's been healthy. Samson Evans has looked good. Uh, Hassan Beydoun, that receiving core really is is uh, got three or four guys: Tyler Canoe, Dylan Drummond. Um, you know, Darius Laster that, that have made plays at different points this year. They are better on the offensive line. They also have an incredibly uh, productive uh, defensive lineman who, you know, 
probably will get drafted in Jose Ramirez. He and Fajoko, two of the better defensive linemen that maybe, you know, the average college uh, football fan that, that doesn't pay a lot of attention to the group of five level might not know. Um, so keep an eye on them. But I, I just I, I kind of trust San Jose State a little bit more in this on paper. But of course, you know, bowl games aren't played on paper. They're they're played in Boise sometimes. So uh, <laughs> we'll see how how it works out. But I, I think San Jose State matches up pretty well. Uh, Xavier, your thoughts on this game. Are you on the San Jose State side or are you on uh, the Eastern Michigan side here? Yeah, give me San Jose State. I think they have just a little bit more balance than what Eastern Michigan will be able to bring to the table. Uh, Chevy Cordero, obviously, you know, statistically putting up, you know, a thousand more yards than Eastern Michigan starting quarterback, six more touchdowns, did three less interceptions. Um, on top of that, they still were able, you know, their leading rusher still ran for 700 yards and 10 touchdowns. So I, I think when you look at them offensively, they're still they're more, a little bit more balanced than what Eastern Michigan has brought to the table. Um, even though, like, when you look at, you know, team st- stats, they're almost mirroring each other in points per game. Um, San Jose State's been better in points allowed per game, uh, giving up 20 points a game, where Eastern Michigan's giving up 29 points a game. Uh, so I, I'm going to take San Jose State here. I, I think that defensively they'll get they'll get enough stops, and where Eastern Michigan will, you know, at times be able to, you know, control the game on the ground. If they're not able to do that consistently, I think San Jose State has more than enough talent on the outside um, to, you know, exploit an Eastern Michigan team that hasn't been great defensively all year. Uh, so I'm going to take San Jose State here to uh, win this ball game. All right, last bowl of the day for us is going to be the Boca Raton Bowl, Liberty versus Toledo. The line on this game right now is Toledo by four and a half. We have it by Toledo by less than a point, 53 and a half is the total. We're about three points off of that, Nick. Uh, the words never trust Toledo in a bowl game were uttered yeah, earlier. No, no, just in, in general. Just don't trust, don't trust Toledo. Don't trust Toledo. Okay, <laughs> just in general. We'll say that. But a uh, lot of stuff, obviously, uh, going on at Liberty, Hugh Freeze is gone. Uh, defense coordinator Josh Aldridge is going to be taking over. Um, little question as to whether Daquan Finn is a hundred percent for this game, but it seems like he's going to be playing. So, um, with, with Daquan Finn up, I'm taking the Rockets, but uh, you did just say don't ever trust Toledo. So, how are you <laughs> feeling on this one? Yeah, I mean, Toledo in our projections has been you know far and away the best MAC team all season uh defensively a lot of really really bright spots um Deshaun Johnson Jamal Hines Deontay Johnson Dallas Grant uh Quinnon Mitchell is an all-american at corner um had three what do you have uh, four picks and two pick sixes in one game something like that I mean just just an incredible uh season for him but they've got playmakers everywhere on defense um, I absolutely agree. You know, Daquan Finn may be the most important player here. If he is healthy, I feel good about Toledo. Um, we give him full strength uh, with a little bit of rest. I, I, you know, he hasn't looked 100% the last couple of times we've seen him. He was able to gut it out in the MAC championship game. Um, but Toledo is, is not necessarily clicked on all cylinders offensively. Uh, they've been kind of rotating running backs, haven't quite found, uh, didn't have a plug and play guy to replace Brian Kobach. They've got three solid guys in Micah Kelly, Jacqua Stewart, Penny Boone, but none of them is, has really just stepped up and, and been the, uh, you know, bell cow 
type guy. And, and I think they missed that a little bit. I mean, sometimes you like to spread it around, uh, keep guys fresh, but I, I, I feel like Toledo, you know, probably really wanted one of those guys to step up and, and take that job over. They've got some playmakers at receiver. I mean, Jawan Newton, uh, Demir Blinkemsey uh, have, have made plays this year. Devin Maddox not quite as uh, productive this season as we've seen in the past, but you know all those guys have had their moments. Um, and then the offensive line has, has been good, not great, but has uh, Nick Rossi, who's, who's been an all uh, conference performer. They're they're just you know on paper again solid. They've just have a bit of a history of not necessarily taking care of business, not, not winning games that uh, they should, or, or, you know, certainly not winning them impressively. Liberty is uh, kind of an interesting matchup. I don't know what's going on at the quarterback situation. Uh, for a while this year, it looked like Jonathan Bennett had control of that job. He hasn't necessarily, you know, wowed anybody. Um, Everybody had had been kind of hoping that Caden Salter would take that job over. He's more explosive and and uh, can really be a dynamic playmaker. Uh, but he's had some injuries, was away, you know, missed missed some time in the middle of the season. He's back. Could be the starter. Could be playing. We finally saw Charlie Brewer for the first time in a really long time, uh, but not sure if he's going to, you know, he started, I think, technically the last game. Not sure if that was a, a senior bowl thing or, or what. So not sure what's going on at the, the quarterback situation uh, for Liberty. Uh, they've been banged up at running back with Day Day Hunter out. Um, the, the receiving core hasn't really been healthy uh, at, at full strength all season. But defensively, somewhat similar to Toledo, I mean, there's there's some dudes uh, for for Liberty. Uh, Treshawn Clark has been doing it for a long time there, incredibly productive. Darrell Johnson has you know showed up on a couple of All American lists that I saw. Um, Javon Sh- uh, Scruggs has, has had a really good career. So um, Liberty has has put up some really solid defensive numbers. Their D line ranks eight in our performance ratings their uh, defense is 25th in our team performance ratings overall if they can you know figure it out on offense at the quarterback position this is a game that that I think Liberty can uh, keep close and, and maybe even win if Toledo uh, excuse me if Toledo plays up to its full potential it's probably a game that Toledo could win by double digits you know especially with the the coaching transition and, and all the stuff going on there. Um, kind of off the field that, that Liberty has to think of, that Toledo has a little bit more consistency right now, even though, uh, you know, Jason Candle and, and his coaching staff, you could argue, have really underachieved at times. They've been in place for a while, and, and you know, things have stayed relatively calm there as far as uh, transitions go. So this, you know, I understand Toledo being favored. We haven't favored only slightly. But I've, I've seen some chatter out there of, you know, how do people think that, that Liberty can keep this close? I, I, I could see it. You know, I could, I could certainly see, even with an interim coach, even with some questions at the quarterback position, if that defense uh, gets after Daquan Finn. And if Daquan Finn is, you know, not fully healthy, not able to uh, elude the pass rush as, you know, that's, that's one of his strengths, um, if he's less than 100%, 
then then Liberty's going to have an opportunity to to you know get after him and maybe make him make a mistake or uh, you know sack fumble big play turnover that sort of thing. And we've seen Toledo. I mentioned the the win over Eastern Michigan before. Different season, different scenario, but have had some success in bowl games. Big blowout last year, so uh, it's not unheard of that that they might be able to carry that over from one year to the next. I'm not expecting a Toledo blowout, but or excuse me, a, a Liberty blowout. But um, you know, this is this is a pretty even matchup, and both teams have uh, some question marks and, and some inconsistencies that they're going to have to work through. So I don't necessarily hate that that uh, we have Liberty covering. Um, and, and part of that is, is that, you know, don't trust Toledo. Uh, I, I'm, I'm glad we're sort of in a position where we don't have to. Uh, and Xavier, your thoughts on, uh, are you not trusting Toledo or are you trusting Liberty uh, without their head coach? Listen, I, I went and looked at the matchup predictor by ESPN when Nick was talking about it being a genuine toss up. And the matchup prediction by ESPN literally has it as 50.1% for Liberty, 49.9% for Toledo, which is <laughs> as literal toss-up as you can get. Uh, and, and, I, and I think when you're looking at the hard numbers as well, I see why. You know, Both teams give up about the same amount of points allowed per game. Uh, Passing-wise, almost identical, 222 to 227. They rush for the exact same amount. They both rush for 178 yards a game, um, which is actually kind of impressive. I just think when you look at this ball club or you look at this game, I'm not ultimately surprised by it being a toss up, but it, it comes down to the quarterback situation. Exactly what Nick alluded to. If Finn is a hundred percent or, or, or near it, he is so much of a playmaker that I think that Liberty or Toledo has too much of a, you know, of a talent gap there at that position to win this game right now. He's listed as probable. I, I think if he can be 85 to 90% where he's allowed to use his legs, then Toledo should win this ball game. Right. Uh, but I, as we well know, when it comes to injuries, especially the quarterbacks, all it takes is a hit here or there. And, you know, they, they could be a complete shell of themselves. Heck, we saw it in the Pac-12 championship game, right? Caleb Williams looked fresh until all of a sudden he wasn't. And, and we saw how quickly that game turned into, you know, turned into what it was. So I think when we look at this ball game, I'm going to go with Liberty. I, I think that you've got a bunch of kids hungry to play for their spot. Uh, with a new head coach coming in, I'm um, understanding that this game for Jamie Chadwell is going to be what he looks at for a lot of these kids going into the spring. The players know that as well, and they're going to have to play their butts off because no spot is, you know, safe, right? Uh, you know, when a, when a guy like Jamie Chadwell comes in, he's going to bring in his own guys, and he's going to look back at this tape for the bowl game and be like, hey, who played out, who balled out, who played underwhelming, what position group do I need to look at going into this offseason? So give me liberty here and uh, hashtag don't trust Toledo. Yeah, it's uh, it's something that I guess we have uh, we have going here. I'm I'm actually trusting Toledo. If Finn is up. I, I'm I'm with them. But if Finn ain't playing, <laughs> I, there's no way uh, I would take Toledo. I'd be. I made that mistake too many times, Scott. Never again. Yeah, look, uh, I understand. <laughs> it's my turn to make that mistake. I guess so. Uh, oh no, we'll it see. might work out. I'm just you know. Yeah, we'll I'm see. Not, we'll see how. I'm not going to get burned out. again. Toledo. Of course. Hey, look, I'm like that with uh, Notre Dame. Although I did take them to beat. South Carolina, but that we'll get to that we uh, eventually. To that. So we, that is going to wrap might it up be with you on that. Yeah, it's going we'll to that another day. That's going to wrap it up for us today. Um, w- like I said before, you can follow us all on Twitter at Bogman Sports for myself at CFB Winning Edge for Nick at Xavier underscore Tristi on the Twitter machine for him. And we will see you guys next week. Good luck. See you then. Take it easy, everybody. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, 
Visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge. <laughs> <laughs>